from the high desert in the great American Southwest, I bid you all good evening or good morning, whichever the case may be, and welcome to a Friday night, Saturday morning edition of Coast to Coast AM, live talk radio right here all night long. I'm Art Bell, and it is going to be a legendary Friday night, Saturday morning. I've got a surprise guest for you. His name is Sean Morton. Sean David Morton, to be specific. And we will get to uh, Mr. Morton in just a moment and a fascinating story. Right now, let me begin the program by telling you about a switch that is occurring. Um, we're doing an affiliate switch in Salt Lake City, Utah. And this uh, Friday night, Saturday morning, uh, which will be heard, I guess, Monday or Sunday night, Monday morning. Uh, when it is heard Sunday night, Monday morning, uh, it will not be heard on KTKK in Salt Lake, our present affiliate, but KCNR, our new affiliate in Salt Lake City. And so we make that switch, both with the regular program and, of course, Dreamland as well. As a matter of fact, they've already been carrying Dreamland on KCNR. They will simply uh, pick up the rest of the show, and they will carry us from... Um, uh, from midnight to 5 a.m., seven days a week. That's KCNR, uh, a powerhouse, I might add, a serious powerhouse, uh, uh, five kilowatts, non-directional, in Salt Lake City. So uh, thank you very much all the years that we have been with KTKK. Uh, we certainly appreciate it, and uh, it's been wonderful being affiliated with you, and we're looking forward to our affiliation with KCNR AM in Salt Lake City. And uh, that should, by the way, make the show available to a lot of uh, people in Salt Lake that uh, heretofore have not uh, been able to get it. As the network just continues to expand in nearly every direction you can imagine. Okay. Who is Sean Morton? Sean Morton is kind of an interesting individual. He's worked, uh, has an extensive uh, background in television and film worked with Gene Roddenberry in the early uh, 1980s. Now, I wonder how you get from living in a monastery, which he did, a, a Tibetan monastery, um, uh, to, uh, uh, to television with uh, Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry, then uh, Star Trek, The Next Generation. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Mr. Roddenberry even purchased a TV series from him called The Guardians. He's written music videos um, uh, for uh, a number of very popular artists. Was the first person to interview um, Billy Meyer in Switzerland nearly five years ago. And uh, has purchased the rights to the, uh, uh, the Meyer case uh, film. Has been hired as a consultant for the upcoming Fox TV program Encounters. The show will be a summer replacement for Briscoe County Jr., and um, they hope to uh, be the lead-in to X-Files this coming fall, was associate producer on a television production called UFO Contactees, um, has a deep psychic background, is the author of The Millennium Factor, which not only predicts world history for the next 30 years, but gives exact details of the whereabouts of the Antichrist and how he will come to power. A second book written called The Gulf Breeze Prophecies was co-written with a guest we had the other night, U.S. Intelligence Officer Vance Davis. 
and it goes on and on, unsolved mysteries, um, and so forth and so on, uh, television appearances, Montel Williams, uh, and so forth and so on. So, in rounding out our week of predictions, prophecy, doom, and disaster, uh, we're going to have Sean Morton on, and uh, he's got a lot of contemporary news for you as well, some news on Korea, he's got some knowledge about Korea, of all things. So, why don't we find out just who this Sean Morton is, and uh, he's tied up with Vance Davis since they co-authored a book. So, hello, Sean. Hello, Art. Uh, my gosh, what an honor it is to be on your program. I just, uh, I just want to let you know that I've been listening to you for a long time, and you're doing a, a fabulous job in getting the word out to people. And it's, Thank you. Uh, so many people have called me and said, you know, look, you ought to, you ought to call Art. You guys would get along great. And, uh, um, you know, you probably hear this all the time, but I don't think I can say it enough that you're doing a, a fabulous job and a real service to everyone that listens to you and uh, and everyone that tunes in your station. Very, very kind of you, Sean. Uh, boy, I'll tell you, you've got some background, my friend. Uh, really, quite a background. Let me. Uh, I, I just have to just say, for the record, I was not the first person to interview Billy Meyer. We were the first people to interview him in nearly five years when we interviewed him back in uh, back in 1990. And you did it for film, correct? Uh, we did it for a, a TV series called UFO Contactees, which is still in the works, and all of the we, uh, I was an associate producer and a co-director on the series where we traveled all around the world and put together nearly 600 hours of video footage for the series. And then um, we uh, basically now we have a magazine called the UFO Library Magazine, which I think is probably the, the hottest and uh, slickest of the, the new publications. And I'm a monthly writer and contributor for that magazine. And you can order all the videos of all of the uh, interviews that we did from out of the back of that magazine. What uh, what can you tell me? Uh, let me let me try something here. I'm uh, hearing a little bit of something or another, so let me try something here. Um, okay, yeah, that may be better. Anyway, uh, Sean, what can you tell me about the Billy Meyer case? Uh, goodness me. Um, well, it's uh, we just got finished writing a uh, a film about the case called Message from the Pleiades. Uh, we have a development deal right now with a a fairly substantial. Um, uh, fairly substantial film company. Um, as far as the Meyer case goes, in my consideration, there were only two really good UFO cases, or, or should I say two of the best of the UFO cases, and that was the Travis Walton case and the Billy Meyer case. The, the Meyer case um, has been ongoing since Meyer was about five years old. Uh, he's had contacts with a, a number of different alien races. He has over 1,535 millimeter pho- photographs, or did at one time, there's, uh, there are metal samples in the case. There are uh, over 100 and so eyewitnesses in the case. There is, um, of course, the, the some 1,535-millimeter photographs. There's video. There's film. Uh, it's basically, from an evidence standpoint, the best UFO case ever. All right. Not everybody knows what the Billy Meyer case is. Give us a thumbnail sketch. Okay. Uh, Billy Meyer is a, is a Swiss farmer who began having uh, contacts uh, with extraterrestrials when he was about five or six years old uh, with a, a race of beings originally called the Timur. And then um, at about the age of 35, he had contacts with a race of beings who called themselves the Pleiadians, specifically with a woman who called herself Samyaze. Um, the case began to be investigated by uh, Colonel Wendell Stevens, uh, Jim Delatoso, Lee Elders in the um, uh, late 1970s, early 1980s. 
and uh, Mr. Meyer has compiled a, a large composite of material, specifically three books that are all transcriptions of his conversations with these extraterrestrial beings who claim to be here to uh, help us or at least observe. Uh, they've given Meyer knowledge about uh, planets in the solar system, the, the nature of the government, um, what's going on on this planet, and where they see uh, the future of mankind going. Uh, and they're supposed to be a, a benevolent race that either that basically has either our best interests in mind, uh, primarily because they feel that they apparently planted this race on this planet, and so they're like our grandparents sort of looking after us. Right. So it's, it's, it's considered by most. Um, it's a very controversial case. Um, but why, also, why is it considered to uh, have a high reliability factor? In other words, you said there were 150 witnesses uh, to what? To the various sightings that Myers had. To Meyer physically disappearing on uh, uh, various occasions. Really? Um, well, Wendell Stevens saw him just vanish. Uh, crowds of people have seen him just disappear. Um, and because so many people have actually physically seen the ships, there was one period when the ships actually put on a display for um, uh, one of Meyer's group where there were about 12 people on the hill or so, and there were three or four ships uh, maneuvering up and down a valley. Um, there was a film and video footage of uh, one of the craft, one of the UFOs actually involved in, I wouldn't call it a dogfight, but there was a, a Swiss jet fighter that was swooping the craft, and the craft was moving out of the way and disappearing and reappearing on the other side again. And, um, and it's, just, it's, it's just considered the best UFO case in the world, and, and the reason I was interested in making a film about it was just because of the fact that this is sort of the grown-up version of E.T. I, I think it's becoming... Uh, very, very widely accepted now that uh, that there is something to UFOs, that there are races in the universe. Interesting, uh, though. You, you mentioned that, and then you mentioned uh, Travis Walton, and you did not mention Corona. Um, I'd, okay, I'd, I'd go along with Corona and Roswell. I'm talking about physical contact cases. Um, I see. All right. As far as from an evidence point of view, you're right. Uh, Roswell, Corona... Uh, but that's still going to remain a mystery because nobody was inside the ship. Nobody was actually there when it happened. Uh, there are physical bodies. There were reports by um, deathbed statements by General Ramey, uh, who admitted that they were there, by just, uh, that the bodies were there, that they saw the craft. So that's a good case as far as something physically crashing and physical evidence, and here's the body. The Travis Walton case was an abduction that happened in front of a number of witnesses. Uh, Travis had an experience inside the ship and obviously lived to tell about it. And the Billy Meyer case is kind of the next step because now it's, okay, here we are, it's not so much a revelation as it is a confirmation, and here's what the universe is all about, and here's where we're going, and here's some notes for you to take back to your people to show here's the true history of planet Earth, here's where we see you're going, here's what's going on in your planet and your your solar system and your universe right now. All right, well, look. grown-up version of E.T. Yeah, look, you've been uh, intimately involved, I guess. Uh, in this case and in some of the other major cases, and you sound like a rational person to me. How convinced are you that this is all the real thing? Mm, I'd say 90% of it. It's actually UFO hoaxes are very rare. Um, I'd say 90% of what's going on. Um, the, the real problem is, is, that, is that all UFO cases are ultimately like Zen cones. They're ultimately like, um, they ultimately don't make sense. Um, so many people find that when you're in a UFO case, you're investigating something, you eventually come to a wall. You eventually come to a, uh, the end of the maze exactly. where, there's, where you don't know what's on the other side of the wall. Exactly. And so many people, because, just because of the, the way the mind works, 
instead of simply being calm and quiet about it and simply saying, well, this is what I know, this is what I know, and this is what I don't know, and then being quiet and allowing what you don't know to come to you, a lot of people will sort of run screaming out to the weeds saying that, you know, these are the conclusions which I draw, and uh, not realize that a lot of this stuff doesn't ultimately doesn't make any sense. Well, I have to say, though, the UFO community is slow, it seems, to uh, declare something in its own realm to be a fraud. In other words, it almost hangs on to these things in, in almost a hope. <laughs> well, we're working on a great fraud <laughs> case right now for encounters. Um, there was a, a videotape that was circulating for a period of time. It was a one-hour videotape that was a home movie of what appeared to be an actual alien abduction. And this thing was good. I mean, it was good. You had you had uh, three brothers who were out in the woods who saw a ship, um, little aliens walking around the outside of the ship. Guys run back into the house. They get guns. They shoot one of these aliens off the roof. Really? The alien falls down off the roof. Oh, they bring my. the alien body in the house. The women are screaming. Um, the men go out to get the truck to rescue everybody. The... Uh, the men disappear. The alien disappears. Um, I mean, it was it was great. And I've never even heard about I'll, this. I'll, all right, I'll send you a copy of it. It's, I it, would love it. It's great. It was um, the final shot of it, which was so amazing, was that finally the mother screams at the boy who's taking the video, say, "You put that thing down, or I'll wrap it around your neck." So he takes it <laughs> in the corner, puts <laughs> the thing in the corner, you know, takes off the belt or this power belt or whatever, goes in the kitchen. And then you hear them talking or playing cards in the kitchen, and then this door at the end of a hallway opens up, and you see this brilliant light that comes from the door. And you see three alien beings, one by one, come out, turn the corner, mm-hmm. and the third alien being stops, leans back on his foot, tilts his head, looks right at the camera, and the camera goes... Oh, fades no. Out. And that's the end of the video. Uh, and it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Uh, how have you been able to uncover this to be a fraud? Um, we, just, we did a lot of checking. Um, I ran checks with the Screen Actors Guild to see if I could find uh, actors or actresses because, you know, I figured that these people are acting acting in this video, that they're good. Too good, yeah. Um, I finally managed to track down, um, it was produced under a bogus production company, and there were all kinds of stories about this video. There was a story that, that in the one case that no one had seen the family, that they just completely disappeared, uh, that the video was smuggled out of a Marin County police file that there was a production company involved in it, but they pretended, only pretended that the video was fake so that they could copyright it. Um, oh, my, oh, my. I mean, this whole thing went all the way through it. And it's all really right, well, you, you have got to get me a copy. I'll, I'll send you a copy of it, because right. we went through this whole thing to try to find it out. Finally, I found uh, uh, Dean Aliotto, who produced the film, I think, for about $10,000 as a USC student project. And Dean uh. and I have actually become pretty good friends off this whole thing. <laughs> but you'll see pieces of it on Encounters because we're going to do that and say, well, this is kind of a UFO alien hoax. And then we're going to do another piece, hopefully, um, that's going to be an actual alien hunt. Now, here's a woman we feel is actually abducted and has the marks and has probes in her head and the whole thing. And, you know, we're sort of, sort of going to stake her out like a sacrificial lamb and put cameras all around her and <laughs> see if we can actually get something actually happening. I see. Um, all right. Well, that's the negative side of it, and uh, I'm glad you're doing that kind of work. But nevertheless, with all these things you've investigated, you still conclude with 90% reliability there is something going on. Oh, there's something out there. Definitely something out there. Yeah. And I, uh, one, of my, one of my probably biggest claims to fame was the investigations that I've done into, uh, into Area 51 and uh, finding that hilltop, and I found this in uh, May of 1991, uh, I climbed up this hill near the base that you can actually look down on the facility. 
and I videotaped the facility and, um, you know, snuck up there several times and actually got objects uh, coming and going and things landing and what oh, have yes. you. And, and, of course, now that hilltop has become a big deal. I mean, it was, uh, you know, the military's just confiscated 4,000 acres. Uh, they're planning on closing down Gloom, Gloom Road. Uh, I mean, this was just because myself and my goofy friends were, you know, climbing up the top of this hill and watching things going on. And How many times did you meet up with Wackenhut? Uh, well, virtually every time we went out there. The only, um, you know, I used to lead tours out to the area where I've probably led maybe 50 tours or so of people just in Los Angeles that wanted to go see something. And we probably saw something on maybe 40 or so of those tours. Did you come back with any good video? Lots. Lots of good lots video? Lots and lots. I got, as a matter of fact, the one really good video that I got, which was a close-up of one of the ships maneuvering down the valley, uh, was the only time that I was actually ever threatened by the Wackenhut guys because I drove my, whatever this thing was, it seemed to, it, it landed on the public side of the valley. And I, I drove my car after this thing uh, only to have four trucks pull across the road and guys with guns, you know, I, I actually, they, they turned all the lights on and told me to go back to the road. And I got out of my car and started walking towards them, and suddenly I had all these red lights dancing on my chest. And, um, and, I, and these guys were screaming at me to get back in my car. And I, I realized suddenly I, I felt like I was in a, uh, you know, a, a bad uh, Kafka movie here. And uh, these guys were pointing their guns at me, and I just said, look, no problems. I'm getting back in my car, no problems at all. And I got in my car, turned around, and went back to the road. Do you think if you had not cooperated and had pressed forward, they would have shot you? Um, I don't know. It... it, it it would have been a call because I was on public land. I mean, I wasn't on their land. I was in the middle of the valley on... on that's the only reason why I got belligerent and walked, got out of my car and started walking towards them in the first place. Mm. Uh, it's possible. That's the only real run-in I've had with the guys um, other than... Uh, I mean, actually, you can't... They're not allowed to talk to you. You can run after the Whack and Hut guys, and they'll run away because they, they can't do anything to you without the sheriff. And, of course, now 51 is... Um, um, well, I, I wasn't sure if this was the topic for tonight. I mean, I can well, I'm not sure it is either. We're going to cover all kinds of things, but okay, right now well, we are on this. I, it's interesting. I can tell you what I found out about what's going on there. Good, um, good. Tell us. Uh, as far as my investigations go, and I'm, I'm, uh, you'll see an article on this in UFO Library Magazine this next month. Um, as far as my investigations go, uh, during the 1950s, uh, 51 has sort of changed hands a lot of different times. My uh, father was an experimental test pilot, and he tested prototypes for the SR-71 Blackbird and the mm -hmm. U-2 spy plane and what have you, I mean, way back in the 50s. Right. About 85, 86, it, it was kind of strange because it seems as though the territory actually passed into private hands for a period of time. It was not under the control of, of the legitimate military. It was not under the control of the uh, Department of Energy or the Atomic Energy Commission. Um, about 85 was when they applied to expand the borders by 89,000 acres. The federal government and the Bureau of Land Management dragged their feet for a couple of years until the military or whoever was running 51 at that time just got sick of it and basically just confiscated the land, uh, declaring executive orders, telling congressmen that uh, they answered to a higher authority than the United States government, <laughs> and uh, you know they needed the land, and that was that. Uh, then in, and this, this took about two years, so it was 85, 86, 87. 87 was when it appeared as though the saucer technology began to move in. Uh -huh. and it wasn't just the saucer technology, but also whatever uh, objects coming in from space, uh, very, very large objects. And the, the objects that I've seen in, in the tours and the surveillance that I've done out there have been primarily disks. Uh, we've seen the stealth bomber test a couple of times, and we saw one thing that was huge. I mean, this thing looked like a giant door wedge. 
It was blunt on the nose. It was black on the bottom. It was white on the top. Uh, it was scooped at the back, kind of like a Corvette, but it, it, it looked like two door wedges, one on top of the other. And it was massive. We, we videotaped it, but all we could see was the light on the nose and the light on the top and the bottom uh, on the camera. So you just see this massive object moving across the sky. But this thing had to be, I mean, guesstimations, depending on how far away we were from it, was, I mean, it had to be something like 900 feet long. All huge. right, Sean, hold that thought. It's a good cliffhanger point. We'll come back to you in a moment. Okay. All right. Uh, Sean Morton is our guest at the moment. We're talking about uh, an area right adjacent to the point from which I broadcast. Here in the high desert. In other words, Area 51, just uh, more or less over the hill, as it were. All right. We'll pause for local station business here at the bottom of the hour. And we'll come back with Sean Morton and more about Area 51. And then predictions and what we can look forward to for the next 30 years in this country. We'll be back. the kingdom of nine you're hearing coast to coast am with art bell on the cbc radio network actually the closest broadcast point to area 51 in the nation that i know of it's good to be with you my guest is sean morton and he's uh, somebody who along with a lot of other things knows something about area 51 so back we go to sean sean uh, good evening again good evening art we are, you know, uh, right adjacent to Area 51 here. Just yes, I know. You're very, very, very close to the base. Yes. Uh, and I'm telling you, Sean, there are weird things in the sky. Here. <laughs> <laughs> you ever get any heat from those guys for uh, uh, things you talk about on your show? No. No. And uh, and if I were them, I, I wouldn't put heat on me because then I'd just squawk all the more. <laughs> so, no, I don't expect it. But you never know. I mean, we could go silent here any time, and I could be getting hauled away by men in black or something. <laughs> anyway, uh, you were describing it. I'll tell you, Sean, I saw a craft. I saw a really serious craft uh, right out here. It was a triangle shape. I'm sure you've heard me uh, talk about it. Uh-huh. Um, have you seen anything like that at the base up there? Um, no. I've just seen the... All we've seen is the discs were the brilliant balls of light. I, I do have a piece of uh, videotape that was taken from on top of the Tropicana Hotel um, in April of 1991 of a number of brilliant triangles that, that may be what you're, what you're describing, but there was a whole, it looked like a squadron of about five of them doing maneuvers over downtown Las Vegas. Mm. This is the end of side one. Please leave the cassette exactly where it is, flip it over, and begin again. 51, or is that segment of your life over? Well, it's, it's not that it's over. There's just not... Um, I mean, I'll, I'll explain to you what I think is going on there, and uh, uh, I'll just let you know some of the stuff that I'm, that I'm working on that I just think is interesting. I, it is my belief that a number of the... that most of the saucer technology and uh, a lot of the really weird stuff has been actually moved out of 51 and was moved out... Uh, probably around the beginning of this year. Um, just to let you know what I know, this is I, I have some very, very high sources in the government. Um, my, my dad used to be vice president of uh, TRW, and he was a public relations director for NASA. And I've got two godfathers who walked on the moon, and my uncle Donnie was a uh, 
uh, was an admiral in the Office of Naval Intelligence. So I've, yeah. I've got a lot of sources, guys who are ex-CIA and guys who are ex-ONI. Uh, ex um, basically, if I submit my questions to them in a certain way, they can find things out and give me yes or no's and, and let me know what's happening. And this is, to the best of my knowledge, what's going on over there right now. The facility itself, as I said, Dreamland or the box or Area 51 or um, uh, the projects, as it was also called, is uh, was under independent control for a period of time. Whoever was running it seemed to have executive authority. They uh, could pretty much do anything they want, spend any kind of money that they wanted to. And, of course, many people have known about where the hangars for the saucers actually were. It was not at Groom Lake, but there was a road that went down from it um, about 15 miles or so over to an area called Papoose Lake. Mm -hmm. I also had a huge advantage, Art, as an investigator in the first part of this whole thing uh, because of the fact that I had a number of people, or there were quite a few people actually running around saying that they worked at Groom Lake, that they had access to information, uh, that they'd actually been to the facility. And I had access to being literally probably the only human being on Earth who hadn't worked there who had actually physically seen the place because I found this mountain that looked right down on the base. So for about six months or so before I started letting people know uh, where this mountain was and, and before it became a massive Nevada tourist attraction, mm -hmm. um, I had the advantage of being able to talk to people and, and say, well, you tell me what the base looks like and you draw me a schematic and you tell me what's here and what's there and, and I'll believe you. So uh, here's what I think was going on. What, what happened was is that when when whoever these guys are who seem to be above the military, who seem to have, or literally above the, our government or most of the governments of the world that have access to whatever this type of technology was, there were requests, formal requests, that came from the base to the Department of Energy or the Atomic Energy Commission uh, that run the test site and to the legitimate military at Nellis. I mean, not even the commander at Nellis could actually go to the facility during this period of time. Mm -hmm. And the requests were for them to turn off their radar on Wednesday nights between about dusk, about 6 p.m. and about uh, 1 a.m. Well, of course, the, the military and the Department of Energy said, you know, no way, we're not going to do it. And because of this lack of cooperation with whoever was working there, suddenly the saucers then began to test on the public side of the valley, uh, literally below cloud cover, usually, because mm -hmm. the best nights to go out there were Wednesday night uh, from about 6 p.m. until about 1 a.m., and these things would literally test 50 to 100 feet off the ground. I right. Mean, they, they were flying right over our heads, and we were videotaping them, and the first time I'd ever seen a UFO in my life was when I was out there in February of 91, and one of these things swooped my car, and I chased after it with a friend of mine. And, uh, and we got our faces nice and sunburned, and we're very, very ill for about three days after that with very, very high fevers. And that's, uh, you know, and then I was sold. I was just hooked. I wanted to get out there as much as I could and take as much video as I could and tell all my friends about it. How, how good is your videotape? Uh, it's, it's right up close. We've got a, uh, I've got video uh, of the base. Um, I'll send you some of the stuff if you want, Art. I'll, I'll I, I, I would love it. Uh, what, about, what about video of craft? What have you got? I've got a... A video that was taken with a 12 times lens from about uh, in the middle of the valley that was probably hovering 75 to 100 feet off the ground uh, from about maybe four miles away. All right, which is, which is not a lot when you're out in the desert. All right, what can you see? I uh, mean, I mean, I, I can't see the video. You you've seen it. You, right. you took well, it's it. A, it's a big. It's a it's a glowing disc. Uh, the disc itself, you can see it, it's it's a whitish blue color. You can see an energy field actually going around the outside of it. Oh, it right. seems to be actually creating some kind of bubble actually around the ship. Uh, and when you get very very close on it, there seem to be. Uh, it looks kind of like the bat plane. You see kind of these weird edges on it. 
and it's uh, it's hovering, and then it moves up into the corner of the video and does a little zip, and then comes down. And uh, as I said, it was my belief that this thing actually malfunctioned, or uh, it actually physically landed, or something happened to it where it landed in the desert. And then I chased after this thing with my car, and of course there were security guys around it virtually right away. Do you think uh, this is alien technology that we have acquired from them through some sort of deal, which is one story, or do you think this is our own technology? Well, it's certainly it's certainly possible. I, I, I you know, I, I, I hate to comment on it because I don't know. I, I, I can tell you that the sources that I've had from guys that were guards, from guys that had actually been uh, people at the facility. Uh, have said that they have seen alien beings at the facility. Um, it is it is kind of well, it's, it's kind of weird because I mean I I won't mention him by name, but one very famous scientist who came out of the facility. Um, it's sort of unusual to see how his story has kind of changed from the beginning because um, uh, my documentary team interviewed him in February of '90, where uh, Joe Randazzo and Richard Kashansky interviewed him. Go ahead and name him. Well, no, because I don't like I don't like talking negatively about people on you know on the radio. It's just not my thing. Um, but he did claim originally in his story that he had actually seen physically seen alien beings at the base. And then as he became um, as he became more famous, uh, he then claimed that he never seen he never saw aliens that he didn't see anything like it. And yet there was a story that he was working on a saucer, and that. Uh, all right, I don't remember any claims. Uh, I, I think that I know who you're talking about, and I think I've interviewed this individual a number of times. Yes. And I don't recall any claims, Sean, uh, that he ever saw any alien being at all. Hmm. Well, uh, like, like I said, it's, it's the original part of the story was that he actually, on one occasion, had actually seen something. And there were um, uh, hypnosis tra transcripts, which uh, I, can't get, uh, I can't get too far into this because it's not a... Um, like I said, it's not, uh, you know, it's not really negative. It's just, uh, you know, I, I believe his story. I think he's he's legitimate. I think he, that he's changed his story slightly from that there was alien technology and that he saw an alien on the base uh, simply because, um, you know, he got a lot more famous and I, I think he was going for the credibility and, you know, he's doing a big movie now and, and it uh, just seemed to me as, as if, um, you know, maybe that's why the story got altered for some reason. I, uh... I think that there's alien technology there. I think that uh, I think that some very credible witnesses have actually physically seen alien beings at the facility. Um, Can you go any farther with it? In other words, um, what kind of deal have we made with these aliens? Uh, well, look, I can give you the I can give you what I know as far as as far as the people that I've interviewed. Um, right. There seems to be kind of a timeline that's involved, and the timeline involved would be. Uh, uh, starting the beginning of the modern UFO era, which a lot of people think starts with Roswell and Corona, and it doesn't really, and, and uh, this is kind of a fun story if people want to check it, but it actually starts with the Battle of Los Angeles on February 26th, Wednesday night of 1942, when a UFO actually parked itself over Culver City for a period of six hours. Hmm. The United States military bounced 14,000 rounds of ammunition off this thing's energy field, and a photograph appeared of it on the front page of the L.A. Times and the New York Times on February 27th, Thursday, um, front page of, of the newspapers. And anybody mm -hmm. that wants to go back and check the archives can certainly check it. Uh, I pitched a story to Unsolved Mysteries, or this particular story to Unsolved Mysteries, which unfortunately they didn't take. One of the witnesses in the case was actually DeForest Kelly, the fellow who played Bones on Star Trek. Right. Um, and the complaints from the people were that, uh, that the ordinance that had actually bounced off the saucer 
uh, created these huge holes in the top of their houses, and 14 people were killed in car accidents because there was a blackout of Los Angeles at the time, and the military would never admit what the object was, would never say that we were directly being attacked by the Japanese. So from, the, from then until the crashes in Roswell and Corona, and it is my belief that those crashes occurred, that there were two ships that were traveling in tandem that, that ran into a microwave grid that was being thrown up by the RX-27 microwave towers in Socorro, New Mexico. The microwave grid did something to uh, damage the antimatter engines of the craft. One of them exploded, leaving all of the, uh, uh, leaving all of the debris in Mac Brazel's field. Uh, the other one uh, got a big hole in it from the, uh, the other craft exploding and then crashed in Corona that we were able to actually pick up um, uh, an, uh, an alien being that uh, a number of them actually did survive that the story then goes that uh, from this we made some kind of deal that there was a trade an exchange of ambassadors so to speak these creatures seemed to be at the end of a genetic breeding curve uh, they needed uh, genetic material they wanted access to this planet to come and go as they please, since we now had certain technology to actually shoot them down. And um, we pretty much fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And this whole thing began about 1955, and uh, actually about 53. And then there's the whole story about Eisenhower, that uh, Eisenhower was swept away from uh, uh, to Edwards Air Force Base during a golf game, uh, that there was a, a meeting with Eisenhower with a number of these alien beings and the ships themselves, that apparently the scientists were just comatose. They couldn't imagine the fact that they, we felt that we had the highest technology anywhere in the universe, and now here these beings were flying their ships around, totally shocking our religious people and our scientific people, that there was an official exchange of ambassadors, literally that scene that you saw at the end of uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, yes. uh, supposedly actually took place at Area 51 back in 1955, that, that big bowl-shaped valley where the Groom Lake facility was, that a ship physically came down, and that the agreement was that they could pretty much, that they could, uh, so long as they provided us with lists of people that were, be, were, were to be abducted, and that the people that, abducted, were, that were abducted were not harmed, that their memories were wiped, and that they were put back uh, pretty much at the exact same place where they found them, everything would be fine. God, what a story. Do you believe all that? Uh, I'm, I'm about 90% sure that that's, that that's what's going on, and that that's what's happened, that they're seems to be some kind of, uh, I mean, I, I've worked with a lot of abductees, and uh, they're, they're picked up, they're not harmed physically, the, one of the reasons why we have so much hypnotic material coming out, coming out but Hawkins' book and John Mack's book, right. uh, has not been really because the aliens have been meaning to harm these people, it's because they've actually been, they haven't want, wanted them to remember the experience, so they've, they've put up a hypnotic shield, and then uh, it's sort of like my pushing you out of an airplane. And you having the, the horrified experience of being pushed out of an airplane and then hypnotizing you as if it never happened. The physical body has a cellular or sense memory of certain completely horrific events. And human beings react in a very funny way. And, you know, they get bothered by things. They, they see certain things. They begin to trigger memories. And they eventually begin to go psychotic because you've got this, this horrifically terrifying experience that's now being covered by a, a hypnotic mask. Trying to fight its way to consciousness. Trying to fight its way to consciousness. And, yes. and now you're seeing, uh, you know, in all of the material that's coming out now on abductions, I mean, it's just become a, a, a mass phenomena. The, the, the people, I, I guess, which, which you can say, the, the, the scoffers or the non-believers will say, well, this whole abduction phenomenon is just the same, it, it's just leprechauns and fairies and goblins and, and ghouls. 
and uh, you know, it used to be these things, and now it's just little green men. Well, my attitude is, well, if it used to be these things hundreds of years ago, then and we're simply renaming the phenomenon, doesn't this show you that the phenomenon has been going on not just for 40 years, but possibly for hundreds of years? All right. You, you mentioned a kind of a genetic memory, and I'm beginning to feel that myself, Sean, that there's some sort of collective uh, memory that uh, human beings have. And lately, Sean, we have been getting prediction after prediction after prediction yes. of disaster and uh, trouble on the way. And a lot of people have the quiet sense, and I'm one of them, that something big is coming. Don't know what. Just have a feeling that we're on the edge. And uh, do, do you have that sense? Well, absolutely. And it's, and it's one of the reasons why Back in 1992, I wrote my book, The Millennium Factor, because we have, we're, we're coming to the end of so many cycles, and there's so right. many things that are pointing to the next 30 years as being possibly the most heroic and yet the most tragic period in the history of mankind. Sounds interesting. Um, uh, let's, let's hear a little bit of it. In other words, what's coming? Okay, let, let, me, let me do this. I, let me just finish off with the information that I've got on 51, because sure. I, I, I figured you guys would be real interested in this. Well, you're right. Okay, what my... What, just to polish this off, and I'm going to be talking about this at the UFO Expo West tomorrow. What I felt was is that because of the because of the massive publicity, because of people like me going out there and physically seeing what was going on, because they were taking a lot of heat for what was going on out there, um, I got information that the saucers were to be moved in late 1993. That the saucers were to be moved, Area 51 was going back into the hands of the, of the legitimate military that they had, in fact, received a multi-billion dollar infusement of funds. We were up there on the hill watching them extend the runways from, I think, about three and a half miles, almost five miles, mm. laying uh, wi uh, literally cable down into the runway so that it's wider, it's longer, uh, and it's much stronger. Uh, there have been a number of new buildings that have gone up, and they've increased uh, troop strength there probably by 50% or so. There's about 2,500 new guys there. What do you think they're getting ready to do? Um... I think a lot of it has to do with the with the secret moon program. I know that we're going. Uh, the moon. legitimate military is actually putting together a secret moonshot, which is called Operation Clementine. Uh, I think a lot of what has been going on with Groom Lake, and I know this is going to sound like a wild statement, but I, I I can tell you that I I know this for a fact that we have bases on the moon. We've got guys up there. We've got stuff going on in the backside of the moon. We've got four locations in uh, King Crater, Tico Brahe, Vandy Graf and to Saraslavsky, those two are on the back side of the moon. Did you hear Richard Hoagland the other night? Mm, no, I haven't I, I haven't gotten a chance to. I really want to hear what he has to say, and I, and I haven't uh, I haven't had a chance to get caught up with what he's saying. Well, a lot of what you're saying ties into what he said. Well, we have facilities up there. I have a photograph uh, that was taken from the NASA archives of an object that looks exactly like the Aurora as it appeared on the front cover of Popular Science Magazine, mm. except this photograph is parked, uh, this, this object is parked on the moon and was taken by Apollo 11 in 1969. So that gives you an idea of how far ahead they are. So from the information that I've got now, um, the majority of what was going on as far as the secret stuff in at Area 51, and I have yet to check this because I just got the information about two days ago, has all been moved to a place called Pax River, Maryland. And I don't even know if there is such a place as Pax, Pax River, Maryland, Maryland, but uh, supposedly hmm. it's a... It's an underground facility. It could just be the code name for the facility as opposed to an actual location. But that Groom Lake is actually going to become now um, basically back in the hands of the military, which is why... And this is the weird part, is that when they're testing saucers, I mean, they didn't care. They, they barely had any security out there at all when they were flying the flying saucers right over our heads. But now that they're flying 
stealth bombers and you know YF 22s and uh, and all kinds of really secret stuff, uh, you know, mi- legit military stuff. Now the whole military kicks into gear, and that was another reason why you had Wackenhut private security guarding Area 51 and not. Uh, what was called DISCO, the Defense Institute Strategic Command Organization. Yes, correct. All right. So, well, uh, is uh, Wackenhut still guarding? I, I don't know. That That's the one piece of information I need to find out. If if their security has gone back to legitimate military and gone out of the hands of Wackenhut, uh, then you know that something has, has back changed. changed. So Absolutely. I don't go out there as much as I did simply because there's not as much happening. Now, on encounters, the one thing that we are going to cover is that there have been reports, and I've got some videotape on this, that, is, that have been taken by some friends who've been out there, that the stuff that is actually being handled, that if there is any saucer stuff going on still out there, that the only way it can be seen, and this is a hint for all you uh, Area 51 watchers, is you need second-generation night scope equipment. Mm-hmm. And that if you went out there, if you go out there with infrared and night scopes, apparently, uh, well, from this video, the people standing in the video didn't know what was going on. The camera was set up in such a way, there was a video camera with a night scope on it. No one was looking in it. It was just pointing at the sky. But there are these disc-shaped objects moving all around uh, relatively close to the camera, and they were invisible to the naked eye. Some, of the, some of the second-generation uh, Russian stuff available on the market is pretty reasonable. Mm-hmm. They're six, $700. Yeah, that's right. But there is some, some saucer stuff going on out there, and that would make total sense. If, it, if it's a surveillance and reconnaissance project, when we were out there in 9091, whoever was flying those things didn't look like they knew how. I mean, they were zipping back and forth, and the one that I saw that was real low was sort of bumping into Joshua trees and what have you. And really? You think it was on-the-job training with new technology? It's, it's possible. It would make sense. I mean, that's why, that's why they would test on a Wednesday. Monday, they would fly in all the pilots, and the pilots were you know, usually out partying or getting drunk on the weekends or what have you. So Monday was, was the day that they would lay out the mission specs for the week. Tuesday was what they called nuts and bolts day, where they got to look over the shoulders of the engineers and uh, make sure the gauges were working and everything was working right. Wednesday, they were at their mental and physical peak, so they flew the mission. Uh, Thursday was usually debriefing, and it gave them actually an extra day if they wanted to do more flying or something didn't work right. And Friday was kind of barbecue day where everybody got together and bonded and sort of swapped stories and everybody flew home. Boy, you know an awful lot about this. Well, because my dad used to do it. He used to work out at that facility, and they used to fly him down from Reno to go work there. So, and that was back when it was, once again, legit military, back when Edwards Air Force Base was Murrock, and, you know, he used to fly with Gus Grissom and Gordon Cooper and, you know, Alan Shepard and Don Isley and, you know, the whole, all the NASA Gemini friendship uh, Apollo guys. All right. Sean, hang tight for a second. Sean Morton is my guest, and we'll be right back. All right, Sean, we've only got about a minute here. Uh, so to conclude on Area 51, you think it's now uh, perhaps not what it used to be, and it's all been moved. Uh Correct. I think a, a lot of the saucers, or at least the the, uh, the physical stuff, has actually been moved to, um, as I said, that site I was talking about in Maryland, and um, possibly a lot of things in Idaho. Um, hmm. But I'm still working on it, and when I when I find out exactly where it's all been moved, then you know I'll start going out and taking a look at it, and this whole thing will start all over again. <laughs> you think uh, wherever it is right now, it is going to continue? Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes, and it's, it has because it has a lot to do with, like I said, we've. Uh, We've set up an entire moon program. I believe we do have bases that go back and forth to the moon. All right. Um, On that note, we're going to have to pause for the news at the top of the hour. We'll be back. Okay. Sean Morton, stay right where you are. Everybody else, freeze. Here comes some information, and we'll be right back. This is CBC.
from the kingdom of Nye, you're hearing Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Much more than just a talk show. To participate in the program, call toll-free 1-800-618-8255. That's 1-800-618-8255. This is the CBC Radio Network. It absolutely is in the middle of yet another one, everybody, and it kind of caps off the week, I guess, the way it ought to go. My guest is Sean Morton, and he is a literal uh, dictionary, encyclopedia, of um, all sorts of things that relate to stuff that we find interesting. Area 51, we've spent about the last hour on Area 51. He has co-authored a book with uh, the guest that we had on a couple of days ago, uh, the military gentleman who um, uh, took off from Germany, AWOL, because of something that uh, uh, that he and five of his military colleagues discovered when they played with a Ouija board. So we're going to talk about predictions as well with Sean Morton. That'll be coming up in just a moment. Now, uh, back to Sean Morton. Sean, are you there? Yes, I am. I've got a fact, Sean, uh, from St. Louis. And uh, it says, all right, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, please ask Sean to comment on the Bolivian earthquake on 8 June 94 and any correlation to China's resumed nuclear testing. Oh, boy. Um, so what about this earthquake? Well, um, we spoke about this, uh, uh, I guess, the night, night before last. Right. Um, yeah, it has a lot to do with, uh, well, not, not, well, the atomic testing is just, all I can say is it's just it's insane. It's it's got to stop. It's um, it's so weakened the Earth's crust in in so many different ways. The Bolivian earthquake was unique in the fact, and as I said, we we talked about this about uh, two nights ago on your show. Uh, it's significant because of the fact that it was 400 miles down. Uh, the magnitude of the quake on the old Richter scale was an 8.1, and on what's called the SW. Uh, the surface wave sensors, or the SWSs, it was a, I believe it came up at a 7.4. Um, it's just the fact that on, on at that particular side, it's basically, I believe, a precursor for a much larger quake in the New Madrid region. Um, because the quake was so far down, you're not now talking about just slip-strike quakes or oblique-strike quakes in which you have two land masses that are simply rubbing together. You're talking about a beginning of a fundamental shift in the actual in the actual crust of or the mantle of the Earth. Oh boy! And so a a quake that's that far down and relates directly to the uh, also the the continental plate, the North American platelet, um, is very very dangerous, and it's very dangerous primarily because of the New Madrid fault. Now, just to give you a sort of a, a, a very very brief scientific lesson on, on how the geology of this whole thing works. By all means. The Southern California basically rests between two platelets, the, or should I say the whole western coast of California, rests on something that's called the Juan de Fuco Plate. And the Juan de Fuco Plate butts up against the North American platelet and is in between what we call the Pacific platelet. And there's an area in the center of California that runs all the way from uh, Sand Hills or the, uh, what's called the Cargo Muchacho Mountains, you know, down by Yuma, Arizona, then runs up the center part of the state like a large boomerang up to Eureka, which is on the northern western coast of California. And this area in the center is sort of like a large, muddy, 
adobe, almost kind of silly putty-like zone that actually acts as a as a crust or a, uh, a crux or a fulcrum point between the Juan de Fuca plate and the Pacific plate. Now we've had uh, up until now a lot of a very viscous fluid actually cushioning Southern California from a lot of these quakes, and of course that was oil. Now we've managed to take most of the oil out and replace it with soda, which is now causing even even greater quakes because it doesn't have the soda doesn't have the uh, the viscosity anymore to uh, cushion a lot of the quakes. The San Andreas Fault and a lot of the fault teams that run off the of San Andreas and the entire Southern California area, and then the San Andreas of course runs up through San Francisco, have a lot of little fault teams that run off of it, so that when you have a flux in the pressure you've got a lot of different ways for it to go. In other words, the pressure can go a lot of different ways and it, and it spreads up and down the straight, um, up and down the state. The New Madrid Fault, on the other hand, and the edge of the New Madrid Fault actually runs underneath Austin, Texas, and then runs down by the Mississippi and then comes up through, uh, uh, comes up through uh, sections of uh, Arkansas and, and Tennessee. Right. And it's a large granite plate. And the center part of Texas, for example, hasn't had a really a legitimate earthquake, I think, for about 160 years or so, because it's all solid. There aren't any faults there. The New Madrid Fault, on the, ever, on the, on the other hand, has the potential of basically building up energy over a long period of time and then releasing violently all at once, because it's just one big piece. Yeah, it's got a big reputation for storing up the energy. Yes, and it hasn't gone for a long time, and... Very few people realize that the most uh, that the biggest quake in continental U.S. history was the New Madrid Fault. Uh, as I said, about uh, I think it was about 60 years ago, there was like an 8-6. Did it really cause the Mississippi to run backwards? Uh, in certain points, it did. Yes. As a matter of fact, because the the landmass began to rise in areas, and then the Mississippi ran back, and then of course ran forward again. Wow. Um, what you're seeing now, and uh, specifically with the the, the last lunar eclipse that we had, with that lunar eclipse basically eclipsing the United States and then centering over the whole Midwestern part of the United States, as you, you've seen as of the 10th of May, not only an activation in the fault lines in California, but also a major activation in the New Madrid Fault. And um, the, that quake in Bolivia was actually felt as far up as Canada. Canada. Why? Because right. it, it rocked that platelet on the eastern seaboard running up through the, through the Midwest. It went all the way up through the New Madrid Fault. So that tells you that the New Madrid Fault is basically ready for a major release of energy. And I think that, that, uh, that release of energy is going to possibly come at some point this summer, possibly within the next 90 to 120 days. Brother, remember you've got a lot of people in St. Louis listening to you right now and all across that fault line. Okay, well, let me tell them... Um, you see, my... My work, and I, I, we, we didn't really talk about this much in the beginning, I publish a newsletter called the Delphi Associates Newsletter. And in the Delphi Associates Newsletter, which I started last year, I began it because, and this is, I know this sounds kind of odd because of the work that I've done with Area 51 and the, the writing that I've done, but um, I, I'd, I'd worked as a, as a sensitive for a, a, a long time. I'd worked with... Uh, uh, with the Los Angeles Police Department under something they called Unit 9 here, um, as far as, uh, you know, whenever they have a case they can't solve, there were a group of psychics that actually worked for them. I guess psychics sort of a, has kind of a bad reputation now. But, um, but as a sensitive, I, I was predicting these events. I was tuning in, using a Tibetan meditation technique to tune into the planet, and I would then get pockets of energy that would then come up from out of the, out of the Earth and at first, before I was writing the newsletter, I would write registered letters to the um, Hermosa Beach Police Department 
they had an earthquake center here in Redondo Beach where I would then report what I was feeling to them, and then things would begin to occur. So I started publishing the newsletter quite specifically because I was having these these visions, and I would begin writing the visions down, and I needed to publish the newsletter to be able to get the visions out there and then date them uh, to give some validity to the things that I'm seeing. All right. I want to know a little bit about your background. You lived in a Tibetan monastery, and in fact, you lived in the Dalai Lama's compound, and that's pretty wild stuff. How in the world did you get from that to where you are today? Well, it was, it was, a, it was a very, very long journey, and it's just always been... Uh, it's always been for me a constant seeking for what I felt was uh, spiritual truth and spiritual reality. Uh, I was raised a good Irish Catholic. Uh, my parents then became Lutherans, and then from the time I was about 10 years old or so, uh, I studied um, fundamentalist uh, Christianity, basically taking apart the Bible and the original languages and, and uh, actually going back to the church where I studied and, and uh, completing a course uh, to the satisfaction of the uh, the reverend there um, to actually get my degree in theology mm-hmm. and then I was I was in the business world for a long time and I ran very popular nightclubs in Southern California and I, I just I got really sick of it all I, I just was finding that there was no that I wasn't getting the kind of spiritual fulfillment that I needed that um, you know it was just it was a very fast scene it was a very fast uh, lifestyle a lot of beautiful women and 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 you know the whole Hollywood deal which I just started to find completely vapid and vacuous and, and interesting ted ted uh, ted turner uh ted turner who owns cnn and a lot more said uh once success is actually kind of an empty bag oh yeah yeah it is it is um so in 1986 i had a lot of money actually actually it was in it was in 85 and i'd used a lot of my psychic abilities to make tens of thousands of dollars off the stock market and I turned about uh, 5000 bucks and almost $150,000 in about three years in the stock market. Uh-huh. So um, I managed to, uh, basically, I just rented my house and sold a lot of stuff that I had, and I just started traveling around the world. And it was there that I, I traveled to India, and I lived in India for a, uh, a period of time, and I lived at the Dalai Lama's compound in uh, Dharamsala in uh, northern India. And it was the Dalai Lama who told me to go to this monastery that I lived in called Tangbache, and Tangbache is at the foot of Amadam Lam. It's, it's in Nepal, just uh, about 60 miles or so from the border of Tibet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could actually see, if you climb up on one of the mountains, you can you could see on a good day Mount Everest down the valley there. And I lived at this monastery for eight months. And there I specifically trained in earth healing techniques, prayer, meditation, uh, astral travel, um, a lot of the things, just basically the things that they taught, the basic the basic skills of learning how to control the mind, how to quiet the spirit, how to center oneself. And once you get to that point, you can then pick up the energy and pick up the, the feeling of the, of the planet. Now, I'm curious, did, know you, when things are gonna happen. did you get the answers that you wanted? I think, yeah, I did. I, it, there's a whole other story as to how it happened. I got the training that I needed to get the answers that I wanted. I suppose that's, that's what I needed to do. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So, so, uh, it, so there's your background. But it gave me a solid background in fundamentalist Christianity, a solid background in the original languages and the original texts of the, of the ancient scriptures, a solid background in, in Hinduism, in uh, Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, I, I then, when I was back in the United States, I studied with a lot of uh, American Indian elders here because I wanted a cosmology. I, I very much feel that in the coming days ahead, as the times get more dangerous, 
a lot of people are going to be returning are going to be returning obviously to a, a much more spiritual lifestyle yes. and, and, and that there's very much a, re, a difference between having a, a religion and being spiritual is that process underway now I think so I think you're seeing it in mass I think it's why you're having the millennium mania uh, that's coming up uh, in a lot of the magazines as we approach the year 2000 the year 2000 is it's kind of a boogaboo because everybody's afraid of it uh, everybody is uh, kind of gets antsy when we're going to turn, uh, you know, going to turn the big zero year. That's right. Um, you know, uh, the the naysayers will say, well, we in the year 999, everybody was getting nervous and they were having these same things about the end of the world. It's unfortunate because now there are so many cycles that are coming to a head right now. I mean, right now, the next 10 years or so, we're at the end of the United States' political cycle, this country was not really started in 1776. It was actually started between 1789 and 1791 when the Bill of Rights was, was put in place and George Washington put his hand on the Bible April 30th of 1789. So we're at the end of a 200-year political cycle. We're at the end of a 2,000-year of a astrological cycle, moving out of, the age of a, out, out of the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius. We're at the end of a 5,000-year lunar cycle as well, where the, the planet is going to be get, get very hot. You're going to have a lot of volcanic activity, a lot of earthquake activity. Um, we're at the end of the Mayan calendar, which uh, the, the, what they call the sixth sun, which was the eclipse in Mexico in July of 1991. We're also coming to a head as far as a large number of Nostradamus' prophecies about the year 2000 mm -hmm. and beyond. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that the world is going to end in the year 2000. I'm saying that there are going to be some, some very great wars that there's going to be massive conflict across across the globe, and that mankind is going to find fight one last long war where all of the negative forces can be literally swept together so they can be crushed once and for all. And after that phase, we have a, a rebuilding period in, in civilization, which is going to lead, I believe, to a absolutely marvelous, very amazing new world. But, you know, Santa Claus isn't going to come and give it to us. We're going to have to work for it. Very, very, very hard. All right. You mentioned volcanoes. Um, on through California and on up into Washington, what do they have to look forward to? Well, right now, in, in, in my meditations, and I'm sitting here, I'm looking at a map of the United States right in front of me. In my meditations, and, and you've heard a lot of things uh, over the last couple of days about June 16th and about June 9th and, and what have you. Um, mm -hmm. What I'm seeing is I'm seeing that San Diego was, is very hot. In my, in my last newsletter, which was the uh, 15th of, of May, I talked about quakes in San Diego specifically and aftershocks in Los Angeles uh, with my date being the 24th. Well, I, I hit it right on in the last newsletter. There were three earthquakes in San Diego on the 23rd, and then there was a 4.5 aftershock in Los Angeles right on the 24th. Um, Southern California is actually fairly calm right now. Uh, what I am seeing, however, is I'm seeing pressure beginning to build up near Vallejo. and up in San Francisco. And nothing huge, but there will be, I believe, within about the next two weeks, a quake of note in the San Francisco area, specifically around the Vallejo, Santa Rosa, Nevada area. Mm. Um, the area that's very, very hot at the moment is Klamath Falls and Bend, Oregon. Really? And remember that, that when you have quakes in the center part of Northern California moving up through Oregon and eventually culminating right at Mount Rainier, Right. Mount Rainier is a is sits on the top of a large uh, earthquake flue, or should I say, I'm sorry, a volcano flue, and there is a, a, a huge amount of magma, a magma bubble, which uh, volcanists call a pluton, 
that's making its way up towards the surface. And as this pluton, uh, which is very, very large, begins to make its way up towards the surface, it's going to do one of two things. It's either going to cause cracks in the Earth's surface, which is going to cause much, much greater volcanoes, or, uh, I'm sorry, uh, earthquakes, or the pressure has to be relieved via a volcano. Now, this side of the planet is actually naturally very, very hot. That's why it's called the Ring of Fire. So there is a great deal of validity to the fact that Mount Rainier is, is getting ready to go. And if Mount Rainier goes, this would fall in directly to the, the Indian prophecy, which talked about when little sister speaks, big brother will answer. Mm -hmm. Little sister specifically being Mount St. Helens, blowing in um, uh, May of 1980. Uh, if Mount Rainier goes, Mount Rainier has the potential of causing a great deal more damage. The weak side of Mount Rainier faces Seattle. Uh, the mountain's about 14,000 feet high with a very, very large mantle around the outside of it, which is ice and rock with a lot of trapped gases. Uh, there's been earthquake activity at the base of Mount Rainier. I've been hearing rumors about venting and that sort of thing on, on Rainier. Have you heard any of that, Sean? Yes, it's, it's vented quite a few times in just the last three to four months. As a matter of fact, it's considered the most dangerous volcano in the Northern Hemisphere by geologists. Um, I don't know how much they're actually going to tell the people. I, I know that uh, two months ago there was a vent of steam that rose very, very high. There have been a large number of quakes in the um, in the one and a half to two and a half range. Um, Vance Davis put it very well because it was one of his predictions that a 5.4 quake be, uh, would occur somewhere in the Seattle area directly before the eruption of Mount Rainier, and, and I would agree with that particular trigger. Mount Rainier has the potential if it blows of literally dumping enough ash and enough soot and enough junk into the atmosphere that it could quite conceivably lower the temperature of the North American continent by almost three degrees. Wow. Now, Mount Pinatubo, all the way in the Philippines, lowered the temperature of North America by one degree, and you're now seeing all of the winters that have occurred all across the, the, uh, um, all across the Midwest and all in the East and all the killer winters, and, uh, winters that you've had there uh, have been a direct relation to not only Mount Pinatubo, but the fact that the Earth's magnetic pole is beginning to shift. It's already shifted about one and a half to almost two degrees. You're having, as a matter of fact, out where you are and up in Reno and Lake Tahoe, you have a lot of Canadian geese now settling in that mm -hmm. area. That's right. Because they think it's Canada now. Because the, the magnetic pole has actually shifted. And we're getting now in the Midwest all of the winters that Siberia used to get. I had R.W. Whitfield on the program. Yeah. He thought the magnetic poles would shift. Uh, there would be one very quick shift. Do you agree with that? Um, it, it's possible. It, it's, it seems to be shifting very gradually now. Um, however, it, it, there does seem to be, in, in what I see in my visions, uh, I don't see the planet flipping all the way over, as many, as many people see. I, I, I don't think, unless there is a, a meteor, and the visions that I've had are that there is a meteor that strikes the Earth, but it's very, very far off in the distant future. Well, it's like 20... Do you know where it strikes? Or so. Pardon me? Do you know where it strikes? Uh, I, I have a, I'd have a vision that it strikes in um, the Atlantic Ocean, in the northern part of the Atlantic Ocean, and inundates Europe virtually almost immediately. All right. I've heard others say it will strike in Nevada. I just 
wanted to be sure that that wasn't where you thought it was going to strike. I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't. I mean, it could hit anywhere. But well, that's true. All right, Sean, hold on. We're at the bottom of the hour. Sean Morton is my guest, and at least here's one guest who says it will not be Nevada that evaporates in a meteor strike or whatever. For that, I'm thankful. We'll be back with more from the CBC Radio Network. of side one. Please leave the cassette exactly where it is, flip it over, and begin again. From the Kingdom of Nine. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell on the CBC Radio Network. Well, my guest is Sean Martin. We'll get back to Sean in just a moment. Fascinating session once again this morning. It's been uh, quite a week, hasn't it? Sean's talking about UFOs, Area 51. Sean's talking about uh, predictions for the next 30 years. Very specific predictions. And uh, we'll get back to Sean Morton in just a moment. Sean? Yes, sir. Okay, welcome back again. Thank you. Um, I would like to begin to take uh, some calls. Are you up for that? Uh, I am. Let me uh, uh, just mention for anybody that wants to actually get the uh, the Gulf Breeze Prophecies, which I co-wrote with Vance, uh, or my book, The Millennium Factor, can I give a number out? Is that okay? Of course. Uh, the telephone number is 310-217-7579. That's 310 310- 217-7579, and I have the uh, the Delphi Associates newsletter, um, which you can subscribe to, 12-issue uh, subscription. Uh, we've also got the Millennium Factor, which I wrote, and then, of course, the uh, the Gulf Breeze Prophecies, which has Vance's predictions and prophecies. That was written in 93, and then my book was written in um, 1992. By the way, you have reviewed Sean's prof- uh, prophecies, uh, Vance's prophecies, yes. and uh, how? what is his percentage... Of success. Well, when we, when Vance and I originally came together, uh, I had heard about Vance's case in 1990 because I was in Gulf Breeze uh, working with his documentary crew when they got arrested. Uh, I put together some information on him. I'd never actually seen the prophecies or predictions. I had pitched the story to uh, Unsolved Mysteries. They didn't buy it. Uh, sightings uh, actually bought it from somebody else. And then uh, Vance and I sort of came together after his sightings uh, uh, appearance. And I thought, well, let's get together and let's tell the story. And the reason I got together with him was because he and I were seeing so much of the same thing that um, we thought it would be great to actually uh, pool our, our resources and, 
kind of fit the pieces together. Um, By the way, I am, uh, for some reason, in touch with the Ancient Prophecies uh, television show people. Are you tied in with them at all? I would certainly like to be. Uh, I know... Uh, I can arrange it. Uh, I know Coast to Coast Productions, I think, is putting it together, and uh, I've had some people try to get in touch with them. If you could, if you could, um, if you could arrange it, I'd certainly love to be on, Art. If you have any pull over there, I'd really appreciate it. Well, I know the director of the program is a fan of the uh, of the show, and he's listening right now. How's that? Okay, great. Well, I uh, I sent them off a, a package of newsletters in which I'd predicted the Northridge quake. Uh, I predicted the actions that are happening in Korea. I predicted... Um, oh, Korea, Korea, Korea. I wanted to ask you about yeah. Korea. You've got some information on Korea. What do you know? Uh, I, can, I can only tell you some of it without actually putting some people in danger. So I can, uh, I can tell you that 72 hours ago, we sent... Um, I can't tell you how many, but I, I can tell you that we sent B-52 bombers, oh. we sent YF-22 uh, stealth fighters, and we sent uh, two stealth bombers. And they are, as we speak, in Japan. And you should see within the next week um, a basically a strategical strike attacks against North Korea. Now, the same intelligence source, and, and he called me actually about... Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you talking, Sean, about a, um, a, a some sort of pinpoint attack on their nuclear facilities? Yes. I'm not sure if it's going to work, though. Uh, North Korea just isn't Iraq. Uh, there's a big difference here, but you can expect an attack against North Korea. We've got the green light. I had one of my sources wake me up at 3.15 in the morning, a guy that's very, very high up in the military who simply said, it's a go, we're, we're on, we're going. All the stuff is, sh is being shipped now. Well, to use a term, what is your confidence level of this uh, information? Uh, 100%. 100%? 100%. This stuff is there. Sean, if we do something like that, it will start a war. Um, well, the problem is, is, that, is that this same source was telling me, and it was on this man's word, that the... Uh, that the Gulf War stopped. It was this man's word that said, look, Saddam Hussein has two nuclear weapons. He's got them pointed, one at Tel Aviv and the other one at Jeddah, and unless you stop right now, he's going to use them. And that's when we drew the line in the sand and said, okay, we'll leave you alone now. This same source, because this guy used to work counterterrorism for the company, um, told me that North Korea has had six atomic weapons for a period of time, two very, very old, obsolete ones, and four fairly new ones. And now they were working on the, they had just apparently, it's not so much the atomic weapons and the plutonium were upset about, they had uh, just perfected the delivery systems for them, which means, and remember that North Korea, in developing these missiles, last year they were lobbing missiles up and they lost control of a missile that missed downtown Tokyo by 70 miles. And that was almost, that was about a year and... Uh, almost a year and two months ago. I can tell you that this evening uh, the tensions are up between North and South Korea. Both of their militaries are on heightened alert, yes. and we're over there testing our uh, anti-missile missile, -missile um, as best we can. They're exercising it like crazy, so something is about to pop. Well, it's... Uh, oh, goodness. I mean, all I can do is hope that... Uh, is hope that um, it, it doesn't happen. I mean, I, I, I am seeing... Uh, some kind of attack on Tokyo. I'm seeing. Um, I mean, hopefully we'll be able we'll be able to stop it. Uh, and this gets into a lot of the prophetic work that I was talking about, and uh, the fact that um, I've, I've been seeing an, an attack, a, a bomb missing Tokyo and destroying a, a building that's outside of Tokyo uh, and taking out a large region of a place called Mount Fujiyama. Wow. 
So um, things are things are going to get very nasty over there very very quickly. All right. Uh, and, this, let's... And, and this leads into a whole list of prophecies that I have coming up for the next year. So. All right. We'll get to those. Let's get to a couple of calls. Okay. Um, on the toll-free line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Good uh, Good morning. Good morning. Yes, sir. Where are you? Uh, KSD, St. Louis. St. Louis. All right. How um, you doing? Who's this? This is John. Hi, John. Hello, Sean. Hi. Boy, this is kind of frightening stuff here. I begin to feel my uh, heart rate increase just, just hearing you talk, talk about this. But well, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, the, the the point of, of prophecy, John, and the point of actually doing predictions, and maybe I should I should stress this more to your uh, to your audience, Art, is that the point of this is the fact that being forewarned is to be forearmed, and understanding that there are certain events and certain certain predictions uh, that are about to occur gives us the ability of some foreknowledge to either prepare for them or to pray and meditate to be able to stop or diffuse uh, situations. Uh, every religion in the world has an aspect of what I call bio-relativity, that, uh, whether it's Buddhism, Christianity, uh, Judaism, uh, Baha'i, Sufism, all the various religions of the world all talk about the fact that unless you behave in a certain manner, unless civilization takes a certain course, that the earth itself will begin to strike back at you, and that the land upon which you live will begin to literally fester with fires and earthquakes and hurricanes and natural catastrophes and the large number of wars that the United States are in along with the, the, the catastrophes of biblical proportions have a lot to do with the ending of the United States as a, as, a, as a political power, have a great deal to do with the fact that we're at the end of this 200 year cycle where we have not done certain things, we have not lived up to certain expectations um, or should I say uh, lived up to certain biblical laws and this country is, in fact, being punished. And unless the country begins to break up and begin to re-empower its people and, its, and the individuals within it, begins to realize that you can't leave the power in the hands of a few people for very long and, and, and everything without everything just going straight to hell. Yeah. Well, okay, uh, Sean. May, I'd like, I've got a question. I'm all right, all right. Uh, uh, we'll get to it in just one second, sir. Um, Sean, you're talking to somebody sitting on top of the new Madrid fault. Yes. Uh, what advice would you, <laughs> would you give him? Um, you guys are going to have some problems this summer because the, the new Madrid fault, closer closer to the Texas Texas and Mississippi, um, is, in in my opinion, getting ready to release a, a great deal of energy. I think you're probably going to see it by. Um, you're going to see a, a substantial eruption by as late as August. Um, you're looking at quakes. You, you need to look at quakes in the Southern California area as precursors to the New Madrid Fault because the Southern California quakes, and specifically the quakes in California, as they begin to rattle, send this energy across the United States, across the, the continental platelet, which then builds up more and more and more pressure for that one huge fault to begin to... Uh, to begin to ripple and rupture, and uh -huh. as the quakes in California get worse, the continent itself is actually going to be rocking back and forth. All right, caller, you had a point, you or a question. Yes, sir. Um, if you recall, Art, I don't know whether it was Vance or a caller uh, the other night um, talking about how um, they were saying something that a lot of things around the world were going to be uh, uh, going to be happening and so forth, and so the United States was going to be kind of left alone. Nothing was going to happen here, but yet it was the cause of all the other. And I'm wondering if that uh, your 
it got me thinking uh, of your intro that night as well, talking about Rwanda and Bosnia and so forth. Right. And I'm wondering if, um, you know, in our, what, diplomacy or looking for all of the world to become a democratic government, you know, all the things that the uh, U.S. government is trying to promote here and there and everywhere, if that's, you know, cause an uproar with people throughout the world and so forth. All right, sir. Uh, thank you. Sean, are we going to be left alone? Are we the cause, basically, of a lot of this? And are we, I guess it's your view, we are not going to be left alone. Well, it's, when you're talking about left alone, I mean, I don't think the United States is going to be invaded. I, I, it's sort of like the... Uh, it's sort of like the story of the farmer that has a son who, who goes out and breaks his leg and becomes lame, and all the other people in the town say, oh, it's, it's so terrible what's happened to your son. Uh, it's such an evil thing. And the farmer says, well, how do you know? And the next day the emperor comes and takes all the other sons in the town to go fight and die in a war except the, you know, the one farmer's son because he's broken his leg. I see the natural catastrophes in the United States uh, even though there's going to be a, a great deal of destruction, not a lot of loss of life at first, because there's going to be warnings. The, the planet itself mm-hmm. is going to begin to warn us to get out of harm's way. But the geological disasters are going to continue to bankrupt the federal government, continue to bankrupt state governments, um, and basically lead to a breakup of power, very much like the Black Plague did in Europe, breaking the hold that the Catholic Church had and centralized government had on Europe, I think you're going to see a political renaissance in the United States as the federal government begins to collapse. You're going to see a series of states begin to secede from the Union. And I've been saying this since 1990, that it's going to be a foot race between Texas, uh, Alaska, or Hawaii as to who is going to be the first state to actually say, we've had enough, secede from the federal Union and actually become an independent, uh, independent country, an independent republic. And it will be this secession of the states that will then lead to a political scientific and cultural renaissance in America that uh, has been unparalleled in, in hundreds of years. Uh, well, that's quite a prediction. All right, Sean, uh, let's take another call. Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hello. Uh, good morning, Art. Hello. This is, uh, good morning, Sean. Good morning, who's this? This is Sean. Hi, Sean. Good name. Uh, this is Sean coming from Last Best Place, Montana. <laughs> Anyways, um, Sean, I have a question for you. You yes, were sir. talking about Vallejo there and Nevada and stuff. Um what about uh, Mount Diablo? Mount Diablo. Uh, so you're talking about Mount Diablo along the, um, uh, you mean right near Parkfield, uh, the Cheyenne Range? Are you talking about the Diablo Range? No, I'm talking about Mount Diablo there sitting right outside of the East Bay, um, say, just over the hills from Berkeley, which I do think would... Oh, it's in, okay, I know what you're talking about. It's Mill Valley. It's right next to... Okay, right. I'm from Northern California originally. Same here. The San Andreas Fault actually runs right down through Mill Valley. Uh-huh. Um, one of the things that I discovered when I was when I was doing my predictions on the Northridge Fault um, was that last spring I felt that the Southern California quake, uh, and I, I've been predicting this since since last April, that to look for a quake that would occur between December 25th and January 7th, I missed the Northridge quake by 10 days. Um, but I got the exact epicenter of it because I felt that there was going to be some kind of artificially induced quake in the Southern California region. And here's what's very, very interesting is that I began to study about what we call ELF uh, transmitting stations. Mm-hmm. And there were a number of military experiments where the military got together with the United States Geological Survey. And I know this is going to sound nuts, but it's been in all the papers here in California. 
The U.S. Geological Survey and the military had buried a string of bombs from Seal Beach in Southern California all the way up to the China Lake Naval Weapons Test Center and then down to the 29 Palms Marine Corps Base. And last October, they were going to ignite these bombs. They were, I heard about that, Sean. It was called Operation Shockwave. Right. And Shockwave was going to ignite these bombs, and they, and they were they said they were relatively small. They were like 25,000 to about 60,000 pound, what they call cheese cutters, ammonium nitrate bombs. Cheese cutters. And well, that's because they're made out of fertilizer. That's why they call them cheese cutters. And um, these bombs were going to be detonated in two to six minute intervals, creating a sympathetic resonance wave which was then going to go to China Lake and then come down to 29 Palms. Well, the Landers quake in, in June 28th of 1992, the actual epicenter of this huge 7.6 quake was the southwest corner of the 29 Palms Marine Corps base. Now, there was such an uproar about this, that the and it, it got so much publicity, that the USGS and the military announced that they were going to postpone the testing for, I believe it was nine months. And, of course, that means that October 25th was when it was supposed to start, so they're going to start testing this stuff again. When? The end of July, which is right right smack dab in the center of when California is going to be the most vulnerable as far as earthquakes go because it's very hot during the day and very cold at night. And then you had a whole operation that was going on directly off the coast, which was called Operation Ship Shock, in which they were burying 75,000-pound ammonium nitrate bombs right on the continental shelf, hmm. not only on the continental shelf, but at the mouth, of the Camarillo Fault, which is exactly where the Northridge quake happened. Now, hang with me, because this relates to Vallejo. There are three major ELF testing stations in California and Nevada. Edwards Air Force Base, Beatty, Nevada, and Moffett Field in Northern California. Because they're working with sound, I began to work with a map, and if you draw concentric circles outwards from those three areas, you will notice that the three concentric circles from those areas counter, or, or should I say, intersect at Flagstaff, Arizona, where they had a 5.6 quake in April. It was the first quake they'd had there in almost 65 years. Right. Vallejo, which is directly above San Francisco, it's just the other side of the bridge from Oakland, and at the exact epicenter of the Northridge quake. Mm. Exact epicenter. And that, that's what allowed me to actually call where the epicenter was going to be, because it fit right into this triangle where if they were, in fact, inducing quakes in Southern California, this is where they would do it. All right, let me uh, try and pin down exactly how you predicted the quake, Sean. In other words, how, did you docu how do you document the fact that you pre accurately predicted it? I, uh, because we got on the air so quickly here, I sent a, a whole stack of uh, material to you, of newsletters and what have you. I published my newsletter on the 15th of October of 1993. And I had said that we were beginning to enter a phase where you would see massive fires in a ring around L.A. County, and I named the cities where they would, up in Malibu and all the way around in a ring to Laguna Beach, and that th at that point, once the fires started, you would then get uh, approximately a 60-day cycle, and then within 60 days, we would have a major event in Southern California. And I pinpointed the quake as being Northridge because I saw that was where the ELF testing was going on. Okay, that's in print. In other words, I, I can go someplace and uh, w uh, with the materials you send me, I'll read that you're predicting a quake in the Northridge area. Yes, sir. And it's in the October issue of the Delphi Associates newsletter. That is impressive. And I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm, you'll have it in your hands tomorrow. I'm sorry I couldn't, I, I sent it off to you uh, quite all right. mail today. Quite all right. Okay, so when I was seeing this and Part of what I do is I take prayer groups of people out to areas that I feel are sensitive, and we do everything that we can to pray and meditate and bring in the force of the creation and, and, and see if the Lord can give us a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of leeway here to begin to transmute the energy. Um, 
We did this last April, and I had predicted that there would be very, very large quakes in May of 1993. I then put out in the newsletter that the energy had somehow dissipated. Uh, every earthquake sensitive that I was talking to felt that something had been relieved, and I was the first person in the state. I predicted these quakes. I'm going to be wrong. Nothing's going to happen in May. We're going to be fine. And if you'll remember, at that same time, uh, Gordon Michael Scallion, uh, Jack Cole's Earthquake Earthquake Hotline Service, uh, Jim Berkland, everybody was saying that May, everything was building, and then some reason the, the energy just magically vanished. So here I'm... And the quake that I was picking up, when I sense quakes, if it's natural, I'll feel a building, as I'm looking forward into the future, I'll feel a building of the energy of the Earth that then begins to, to, to crack. It's like a, a logical progression. But what I was seeing is I was seeing something that was happening very quickly, almost like a straight up and down line, almost like a stock graph. And I thought, well, what could cause this? And I, I kept getting this image of man-made, man-made, man-made. And then I began to realize, my goodness, it, it, that, that this quake somehow is going, to have, is going to be artificially induced. Mm. And when I began to realize this, and then, I, and, and then I said, I'm getting this vision, then suddenly all the information starts pointing in about shockwave, about ship shock, about the United States Geological Survey and Caltech actually teaming up with the U.S. military and whenever you have a, geolog a geological organization getting together with a military organization, what are they looking for? They're looking for a geologic weapon, a seismic weapon of some kind. Sean, why do you think you can see these things? I, I think a lot of people are, are going to be able to see them. I think it's going to be... I think I'm just the first wave of a group of people who are going to be able to... are naturally going to become more sensitive, um, going to feel the energy of the Earth well before it happens, uh, I think it's going to have to become a matter of survival in the future to become more in tune with the Earth, more in tune with the planet, the planet itself, and feel the energy that's coming up out of her. Um, why can I see this? I I've had visions ever since I was very, very young, and then I went and I got the training to specifically hone a natural ability that I already possess. Is that what your time in Tibet was about? Yes. That, had, that was 90% of it. Boy, a lot of this is pretty chilling stuff, Sean. All right, stand by. We're going to the news at the top of the hour. We'll be right back. My guest is Sean Morton. I sense you're listening carefully. We'll be back. The Kingdom of Nye, toll-free at 1-800-618-8255, 1-800-618-TALK. First-time callers, 702-727-1222, 702-727-1222, or use the wildcard line at 702-727-1295. This is Coast to Coast AM on the CBC Radio Network. It absolutely is. Good morning, everybody. And a lot of stations now join us, and so I'm going to have to do a little catch-up here. I will begin by, um, I guess, warning you that I have a guest. It is a warning. His name is Sean Morton, and it is a warning because of some of the, um, the, the because of the nature of some of the things that he's saying, predicting, and talking about. If you are disturbed by hearing predictions, if you are disturbed uh, by hearing things that uh, challenge you, then this would be a good opportunity for you to tune out. This is a very interesting individual. A B.A. in political science, 
a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Drama, the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts, uh, the British University of Cairo, Egypt, and uh, a man who lived in a Tibetan monastery at the foot of Mount Everest for seven months, a man who spent time with, lived in the compound with, the Dalai Lama, somebody who's worked on Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation, and has been uh, uh, intimately involved in any number of UFO issues. Uh, the Billy Meyer case, uh, for one, he has a psychic background, and he's just a fascinating individual. His name is Sean Morton, and we're going to go back to him right now. We've been talking for two hours. It would be impossible to catch you up on everything. We spent an hour, the first, on Area 51. The second has been spent uh, primarily in discussing predictions. Uh, I should tell you that Sean has co-authored a book with my guest the other evening, Vance, uh, who was one of the military six. Uh, he's co-author of a book with Vance. And uh, now, once again, uh, Sean Morton. Sean, I had to go through that because uh, we've got a lot of affiliates uh, just joining. Well, thank you, Art. And like I say, I'm just thoroughly enjoying myself. You're, you're just, I, I, once again, I can't state, uh, I can't say enough nice things about you. You're, you're a fabulous host and a very, very talented man, and I, I really do appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you. Two questions, both of them in by fax, uh, Sean. Okay. Um, w the New Madrid earthquake that you're talking about, um, is that um, prediction part of the Ouija board predictions from Columbus, Missouri? No. No, I, I didn't. No, I don't. I didn't have anything to do with Vance's predictions at all. I, I came along simply as a, uh, as an individual who thought the story was very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, Vance and I were getting very much the same things. Um, Vance had some access to some very high-level military information, which. Uh, uh, which I needed for some research that I was doing, and I wrote the book uh, basically in an interview format uh, with Vance. Now, as far as um, uh, the 50 predictions that he's put out, they did predict a, a uh, massive earthquake in Southern California in late 1993, and of course they, well, missed that prediction by 17 days, um, which is close enough for a spitting contest, as they say. Um, they did back in 1990 predict the Gulf War. They did predict the... Uh, that the major gun laws would be passed in 1994. Um, so they've been, you know, I mean, they, they keep coming true one by one. And, of course, the, uh, the next thing that Vance was seeing, that I was seeing, and a lot of other people are seeing, is, the, uh, uh, is a major eruption of Mount Rainier. As far as the New Madrid Fault going, um, as I said, you have to watch as far as the New Madrid Fault goes. I mean, I, I, let me give you a, a list of what I see happening. And, and this is a, um, specifically since we're talking about these predictions, First off, only God knows when most of this stuff is actually going to happen. What I see is that I see I see chains of events, and I see that when one thing happens, that a number of other things other things occur. Um, it's very much doing this kind of work. When I get a vision or I uh, where I see a, a picture of something happening, it's very much like channel surfing in the dark without a TV guide. It's uh, uh, it's about 20% inspiration and about 80% uh, uh, perspiration. Because when I get these flashes and these images, I try to I, I try to co coordinate as much information as possible to try to verify the things that I'm saying. And Can you, in some way, describe to us uh, who do not see what you see, how you see it? Uh, do you see it in kind of a physical sense? Well, the first the first thing I see is that I like, for example, I've got a big map right here in front of me, and I and I'll, I'll close my eyes, uh, do a meditation technique, 
and I can then run my hands over a map, and I can actually feel energy coming up out of the earth as to where energy is coming to a, coming to a point. I'll then place my hand over an area that I feel is hot on the map, and I'll actually take it day by day, where I'll say, uh, okay, uh, uh, June 11th, June 12th, June 13th, and, and either go day by day or month by month, and then I will see windows as to hmm. when these things will actually occur just by holding my hands over a map and then projecting myself forward first month by month, and then when I get a hit, I'll go day by day, and then I will actually begin to get... Uh, images and actually heat coming from the map. All right, well, that, that coincides with another fact I've got. I heard Sean say that Klamath Falls and Grants Pass are hot areas. What does he mean by hot areas? I mean that, that they're primed and ready for a, a pretty substantial earthquake event, and that when those areas begin to go up near Klamath in the center part of the, the border of California and Oregon, that isn't so much earthquake activity as it is magma activity, which means that that area will begin to ignite places like Mount St. Helen, uh, Mount Hood, um, going up into what I'm eventually seeing, which is the, the very, very northern part of the Pacific Northwest, being Seattle and Mount Rainier, being just scorching. I mean, in my visions, I can, I can barely look at it because the whole area on a map will glow a very, very white, hot, reddish color. Oh and I'm seeing the whole Pacific Northwest building in this. Now, Southern California again, after the Northridge earthquake, the energy that was building up around Southern California it has, has very much dissipated. It's been, it's been uh, how can I say, it's just gone. I mean, it, it, it seems very, Exhausted. very quiet. Exhausted. Uh, yes. All right. Um, do you want to give us, uh, aside from what you've just said, any other predictions that you have? Okay. This is what I'm laying down, and this is basically what I'm writing the newsletter on right now. I'm seeing, I'm seeing uh, e events within the next 30 days in California that will be adjustment quakes. They will not be massive. Uh, you know, everybody's talking about uh, uh, June 16th as being. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of very weird stories in Southern California with uh, right. people who are picking up men dressed in white, and they say that June 16th is when the first trumpet will sound, and, oh, yes. the, men, and then the men disappear. Um, I'm getting a line, by the way, on somebody who supposedly actually had this happen. And when I find the person that this actually happened to, I will get them in touch with you. So you oh, by all means, please do. Okay, because I just got a, I got, I got a call from Channel 9. I, I have a, an old girlfriend that runs a news desk over there, and she called me and said, Ah, I've got a witness of somebody that actually saw this happen. So she's going to interview her, and then I'll get a hold of her, and then I'll, I'll slide her over to you. Please do. And w uh, touch on one other thing for me, Sean. Yes, sir. Um, uh, again, because so many stations have joined us, what you had to say about Korea uh, yes. last hour was very important. Please repeat it. Okay. Um, that basically, what I can tell you is that about 72 hours ago, uh, we sent a squadron of B-52s there, uh, along with uh, YF-22 stealth fighters and stealth bombers. They're, as we speak, in Tokyo now. Um, from the same source that gave me that, he talked about how the Koreans, it was in his opinion, that the Koreans, and this was a man who used to work uh, counterterrorism, that North Korea had, in fact, six atomic weapons, two old-style ones and, and four newer ones, that they had just, what we're most worried about, had just developed the delivery systems, specifically the guidance systems and what have you, um, to be able to possibly take a shot at, at Tokyo. And um, we've, uh, we've, we've answered that. I mean, just, just today in the news, I believe it was Clinton who said that if, if a nuclear attack, in fact, takes place, that would be the end of North Korea. And we're, right. getting, we're getting ready to go in 
guns blazing to do something about it. I, I don't know how we can't. We've got to go in and take out some of these positions mm-hmm. because we can't just leave a loose cannon like North Korea just kind of laying around. Well, since you're in the business of predictions, how do you see this unwinding? In other words, what do you see happening? Okay, um, and like I said, this this comes from the from the 20% inspiration, 80% perspiration part of this here. Um, there is, and, and I know this might sound like getting off another subject, but it'll come back around to it. There are a number of predictions that I have been studying along with the head of my research department, uh, Robert Egan, of Nostradamus. And the Nostradamus quatrains specifically point to a large number of events that are going to occur in a year with a bearded star. Now, this bearded star has not existed up until about a year and a half ago when we discovered Shoemaker-Levy 9. And Shoemaker-Levy 9 is about ready to crash into Jupiter over seven days between the 18th of July and the 25th. Right. Nostradamus had a whole string of these prophecies, and, and when you see the photographs that I've got from, from uh, JPL, this it star really looks like it's got a beard. It's got like a, a little pointy beard or what looks like a hat on it, and on the front page of Time magazine, they were calling it a bearded star or an angel wing comet, and that this comet was going to strike Jupiter and then cause the, these massive eruptions. In the research that we've been doing, we've been finding these remarkable prophecies that directly relate to the, quote, run of the bearded star, unquote, which, of course, end on the 25th of July. Uh, one of these prophecies specifically, and we felt, very, we felt strongly enough about this to actually send letters to the White House, and we have had actual conversations with the Secret Service where really? we were called up into the offices, and at first they thought I was, well, actually, Bob Egan went down in San Diego, and then I went and saw the guys up here in Westwood where at first they said, okay, well, it, it, and it was concerning President Clinton. And I want to state now and for the record that I wish the man no harm. I don't want anybody doing anything to him. I, you know, I, I don't plan on doing anything to him myself, but I was having a very specific vision of it. In my book, The Millennium Factor, printed in 92, I predicted his election. I predicted the exact uh, percentage he would win by. I predicted that his presidency would be riddled with scandal and that he would be, in my opinion, as a visionary, assassinated. When? I believe that the assassination may in fact occur before the 25th of July, and that's what we put in the registered letter. And when we went and spoke to the Secret Service, and at first they said, well, you know, we get crazy things like this all the time, I said, you're more than welcome to check my LAPD record and check my Unit 9 credentials, and that I've worked with uh, police departments before doing what it is I do. How did they react? Uh, he had a guy come in, and he said, check this for me, and then after that, I waited in the hallway for a second, and the guy came in and said, Mr. Morton, uh, would you like some coffee, sir? And he was actually very nice to me after that happened. Um, we have, according to these Nostradamus predictions, and as I said, we felt strong enough about them to actually tell the Secret Service. Can you tell me where? Um, at first, we thought that it was going to be it, something, it has something to do with Bosnia, it has something to do with foreign affairs, um, and it has something to do with a Serbian. And it looks as though whatever's happening around it, it looks as though something has to do with boats or ships. I see swords mm. and bayonets. Um, I was very much terrified for his life when he was in Europe. And uh, people were commenting on the TV that he was just walking around Europe with no protection whatsoever. Right. Um, I know the Secret Service hates his guts. Um, because they, and this goes all the way back to the three guys that got popped at Waco that were his pr- private bodyguards. Yeah, well, that emotion is not limited to the Secret Service. Yeah. But and, never, uh, nevertheless, so, we're talking about the safety of the president. Right, so. so you can't bump off a king without having the cooperation of the palace guard. So, um, 
Anyway, we gave the warning, and we felt it was going to happen between uh, between the 1st of June and the 25th of July, and that it would have something to do with Serbia, that it could, in fact, be a Serbian who assassinates President Clinton, possibly. And it, this is weird, because it fits into a whole other pattern, with him getting involved in Serbia. McKinley, in the 1890s, who was elected in 1892, uh, who was the eighth president after the after Lincoln, was assassinated by a Serbian. Now we've got Clinton, who's the eighth president after Kennedy, who's getting involved with the Serbians once again, once again elected in 1992, 100 right. years later, with the possibility here of him actually, of, of, of the Serbians doing something to him. All right, let me uh, fit in a couple of calls here. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hello. Yes, KSMA, Santa Maria. Santa Maria, yes, sir. Yeah, I've got a comment, a question, and a prediction. All right. Uh, he spoke of the Antichrist in the beginning of the show, and I believe... And my adrenaline is really pumping. <laughs> I believe that he will come from the 11th nation to join the European Union. And can you elaborate on this? And my prediction is that China will form the biggest army we've ever seen and absorb North Korea, take over all of Asia, and that Japan will be broken in half by an earthquake. All right. Mm. All right. Okay, uh, I, can, uh, I can comment on that. Um, let me take... Let me take the Antichrist first. Um, it is when you're talking about the eleventh, na- uh, the the eleventh nation which joins the European Confederation. This goes back specifically to the prophecies of Daniel in the Old Testament. And when you're talking about the prophecies of Daniel, it is my belief, and this is my my personal opinion based on study, that the prophecies of Daniel, in fact, played themselves out, and the 2,300 years of Daniel's prophecy did in fact expire between the years 1844 and 1848. The problem with the ten-nation confederation in Europe is that there has been no eleventh nation that's actually joined. There were ten nations, and many people said, well, this is the formation of the revised Roman Empire. Then two nations joined simultaneously, where, in other words, there was an eleventh nation, there was an eleventh and twelfth. Now there are sixteen nations that are, are belonging to it, and of course all Eastern Europe wants in. It is my opinion that the revised Roman Empire that is spoken of in Daniel is in fact, and the Antichrist that is spoken of in Daniel was in fact the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church coming up at a period of time where the the back of the church would be broken according to the prophecies of Daniel in 1798, and this is exactly what happened when Napoleon invaded Italy. The next Antichrist, I see, is going to be a Persian. He's going to unite the Islamic Empire, he is going to, his greatest ally is going to be China. Uh, exactly what that gentleman was saying about, about um, Japan being broken in half by an earthquake, I believe is absolutely correct. Because is he alive now? The Antichrist? Yes. yes. He was born February 5, 1962. That's a direct prediction that came originally from Edgar Cayce, then came uh, through Gene Dixon in the 1950s. Uh, I believe he was born somewhere in Jerusalem. Sean, yes. hold the thought. Okay. We'll be right back to you. Back now to Sean Morton. Sean, are you there? Yes, sir. All right. A lot of people want to talk to you, Sean. Oh, I, I hope that's good. <laughs> that's good. Uh, that's good. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Uh, good morning. Good morning. This is Fritz from Phoenix calling. Hi, Fritz. How is everything? Everything's good. Thanks. Um, in the beginning of the program, of course, I was joyful to hear his name, Billy Meyer. And uh, you gave him a little credit there. And uh, do you have any more scoop about Billy Meyer? It's been very quiet out of, out of Switzerland. What's happening with him? Well, um, 
we're right now in the process of trying to put the movie together. We've written the script, and uh, we're talking to some very high-level people about getting it done. Um, the last I heard of the case, uh, well, his son uh, Methuselah and I are pretty good friends, and Methuselah came out and stayed uh, with me here last year. Um, the contacts with uh, Samyaze stopped in 86. Samyaze uh, suffered an accident. Uh, she was talking to Billy, and someone tried to break into the room where Billy was speaking to her. She got up out of a chair and tripped and stumbled and, and uh, cracked her head on a fireplace awning. And um, uh, apparently suffered some very, very severe brain damage. Uh, she was kind of put back together, but is uh, has to now recuperate, and so she's gone back to wherever her planet is to recuperate. The contact, excuse me, the contact that Billy was having began again in the early part of 1992 with Samyaze's father, a, 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 being, a being named Patah, yes. Yeah. And um, uh, those contacts have resulted in uh, Billy getting once again a number of prophecies. Um, I, I got uh, I had the pleasure of running past a, a lot of my prophecies, a lot of my predictions, past not only Methuselah but also uh, uh, Guido Musburger, who is sort of his representative now. Mm -hmm. And um, so he has a he has a group in uh, in Hinterschmedrudi of about 90 people or so. Um, he's written another book, which is in well, uh, Guido wrote a book called Un Fliegendach, which means and yet they fly. Um, and uh, he's working on another book called, I think, The Book of Ohm. And he's just he's leading a very quiet life and, you know, living with a, a group of people who are around him and doing his writing. And uh, he just came out with Volume 3 of Message from the Pleiades, which mm -hmm. um, Wendell Stevens has published about 5,000 copies of. Well, thanks so much for the information. I'm sure the UFO community someday will have to give him the respect. I mean, they really dumped on him for the last 20 years, but this day will come. Well, he's... He suffered a lot of uh, a lot of blows in the UFO community here because uh, because of a disagreement that he had with MUFON many years ago. Um, MUFON had contracts signed mm -hmm. to represent the Billy Meyer case, or was going to sign contracts to represent Billy in the United States. Those contracts, because of rights disagreements between Billy and a number of American investigators fell through. All right, gentlemen, we've got to hold it there. Okay. Uh, Fritz, thanks for the call uh, right. from Phoenix. Thanks and Sean, hold tight. We'll be right back to you. This is Coast to Coast AM, coming to you from the high desert. I'm Art Bell. Kingdom of Nye. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell on the CBC Radio Network. Now, once again, here's Art. Here I am. Good morning. It is a uh, fitting end of the week, I think. It's been that kind of week, one full of uh, predictions and concern and worry and maybe a little paranoia and maybe, you know, all kinds of things mixed together. And so it's a fitting way to end this week. My guest is Sean Morton. And, um, Sean, uh, somebody just sent me a fax from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It says, Dear Aunt, just for kicks, ask Sean about Hoagland, Mars, and the Moon, and the Pyramids. Um, well, gosh, you should probably ask Richard Hoagland that. I, I, uh... Well, I have, uh, and we had him on, and he told us there are structures on the Moon. Absolutely. 
Absolutely, huh? And uh, what about the connection to the pyramids? Uh, what Have you had a look at that? I've, I've seen NASA photographs of the various structures on the moon. I've seen uh, digging devices on the moon. I've seen clouds of dust being raised on the moon by uh, uh, these X-shaped, they look like worker drones. They go up to the side of a crater, and they seem to flail away at the side of a crater and process rock. Um, the moon's very, very interesting. I mean, I could go on about the moon for quite some time. Um, this is the end of side one. Please leave the cassette exactly where it is, flip it over, and begin again. Let you know, it, in my opinion, and I suggest people grab some books on this, not only the stuff Hoagland's writing, but also uh, Secrets of Our Spaceship Moon and Secrets of Our Starship Moon by Donald Wilson. Um, the moon, it is my belief, is some form of artificial construct. Um, the American Indians say that the moon was actually placed in orbit here 74,000 years ago, that it brought the yellow race uh, or the, uh, the various oriental races to this planet, hmm. um, that the moon, what we found out through Apollo, um, uh, well, through the seismographs on Apollo 11 12, is that the moon is a huge titanium yttrium sphere that seems to be, seems to be covered by about 28 miles of, of dirt, that if you crush a ton of iron oxide, which is what the outside of the moon is made of, uh, you get about three-quarters of a ton of oxygen, and there is, in fact, water on the lunar surface, not only in the soil, but what appears to be a big lake on the backside of the moon, actually water on the backside of the moon in a place called the Tsaroslavsky Crater. How and could that be? Uh, how could it be? It would be frozen at best. Uh, well, the, the, the atmosphere on the backside of the moon is much thicker than the atmosphere on the front side of the moon for some weird reason. Excuse um, me, what atmosphere? Well, there's atmosphere on the moon. It is not, as NASA is telling us, that there is just no atmosphere. If there was no atmosphere whatsoever, then the, the astronauts would not, if it was a complete vacuum, the astronauts would not have been able to have left the footprints that they, that they left. Um, the backside of the moon has a much thicker atmosphere than the front. Wait a minute. What, uh, I, I need to understand this. Uh, why could they not have left footprints? There is, I think, on the moon about one-eighth the gravity of Earth, and as long as you come down with some oomph, you leave a mark. Well, the, the, the data that I've seen from the, from the, the dissident scientists is that the, the moon doesn't have one-sixth the gravity of the Earth. It's got one almost 50% of the gravity of the Earth. Um, that there's, the, there's atmosphere on the backside of the moon. Um, there have been photographs of clouds floating across the face of the moon. Uh, and these are NASA photos that, I, that I've seen. And you can pick up in these books, once again, Secrets of Our Starship Moon and Secrets of Our Spaceship Moon. That I've got to see. And Someone Else is on the Moon by George Leonard, too. And you can see the photographs of big, puffy clouds floating across the backside of the moon and get the photographs of the Saraslavsky Crater, where there seems to be a, a, a body of water of some kind. Um, hmm. I'm, Forgive me if I doubt, but I'm going to have to see this to okay, believe it. I, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm, I was stunned when I saw a lot of the stuff myself because so much of what we know about the moon and what's been released uh, just doesn't seem to be what's, what's actually going on. All right. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hello. Hi, Art. Uh, hi, Sean. Hi, who's this? This is Gary. Hi, Gary. Uh, I'm calling from the Electron Mudflow. How you doing? <laughs> yeah, so Art knows what I'm going to ask. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, of course, I uh, live close to Mount Rainier, just northeast of Tacoma. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering... Do you have any dates in mind that I should know about? Well, I, I, gave, a, I gave a trigger once again, um, which was the best trigger that I could find, which was uh, Vance's trigger, Vance Davis's trigger of a 5.4 quake in the Seattle area, that if there is a substantial quake in Seattle, that the countdown will begin for Rainier uh, of about 60 to 90 days. I am surprised that 
Rainier has not blown already. I know that there have been uh, a lot of steam that's been coming out of Rainier. There have been a number of minor earthquakes, uh, one, one and a half to about two and a half, almost as high as threes in, in the, uh, at the foot of Mount Rainier, and the fact that we were looking at more volcanic activity and more earthquake activity in the Klamath Falls um, area on the border of Oregon and California, I think, within the next couple of weeks. So okay. that's, that's your trigger. Instead of giving you a specific date, I will let you know that, it, that, that a blow of Rainier will be preceded by stanch, substantial earthquake activity in the area. Oh. And I think that, that, that Vulcan science is advanced enough, that, that volcanism is advanced enough in that area that they would be able to give some pretty major warnings to the population if, uh, uh, if, if Rainier was going to blow. Okay. Um, one last question. Um, can you tell anything about people specifically? Mm, if I put myself in the state to do it, yes. Okay. Um, as far as personal psychic greetings, I don't. I haven't done personal psychic greetings for about three years. I just stopped doing them. Yeah, I just wanted to, to ask about my work, which I know Art is about. No, I don't. We're not going to do those. Uh, thank, thank you very much for the call. Uh, to if you want to call the hotline, three ten two one seven seven five seven nine, I could probably work something out. For tell you. me something. Uh, what is life like in a Tibetan monastery? Do you sit around and? Um, what do you do? Do you meditate all the time? Well, it's a lot of work, actually. I mean, remember, when I got there, I was very much a novice, so it was me sweeping the floors and, and doing the laundry. And, you know, and I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a great deal of work. Um, there were, of course, classes every day. Uh, meditation was very, very strict. Uh, there were very specific things that we needed to learn about. Uh, the monastery was actually pretty well funded by Tang Bak, which was the, the, the city, the, the little town at the bottom of the hill. Um, the monks themselves have a magnificent sense of humor. Uh, it was actually kind of a scary situation too, because there was a lot of there were a lot of um, I guess what you would call Tibetan warriors that were using that valley to actually smuggle arms into uh, oh. into Tibet. I've never actually been to Tibet. I was in Nepal. I was right on the border. Um, but the monks themselves have a wonderful sense of humor. We there's a sign over the monastery that says 10,000 monks, 10,000 religions. <laughs> where it has a lot to do with your own personal development through a very, very rigid aspect of meditation, uh, learning things like astral travel, learning about uh, not only past lives but future lives, understanding how the, the planet itself works. But it's, um, it's rigorous, but it was, it was one of the most amazing times of my life, one of the most frightening and yet one of the most enlightening. While we're on the subject, there was a 2020 story on reincarnation, which, doggone it, I missed. Uh, I don't know if you happen to catch it or not. Uh, are you a believer in reincarnation? Yes. 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 Why? <laughs> why, why do you believe that? I mean, uh, on, uh, what uh, brought you to that faith? Why? Because I've, I've, I've had too much direct experience with my own energy, with understanding where the energy comes from. Um, I believe that uh, uh, that reincarnation exists because energy is never killed, um, that energy does not in fact die. I believe that um, we, we incarnate as groups on this planet to learn with each other, to constantly work out different aspects and different phases of existence until we become perfected souls and spirits that then allow us to move on to uh, uh, bigger and better things, greater planes. Yeah, that's about the traditional belief, all right. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hello. Good morning, Art. It is a great pleasure to talk to you, sir. Thank you. I have just a few points and a prediction I'd like to make for Mr. Morton. Uh, this is Craig uh, calling from Phoenix on KFYI. Hi, yes. Craig. Uh, 
Mr. Morton, let me start with... Call us toll-free at 1-800-618-8255. First-time callers, area 702-727-1222. You going to confirm or deny that? No, it's confirmed. I know that. Correct. Call the wild card lines, area 702-727-1295. All right. Well, there's no point in going on with that one, I suppose. He'll just keep saying that and saying it. On the uh, uh, toll-free line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hello. All right, Bill from Phoenix. Hello, Bill. How are you? Fine. Mr. Martin. Hi, Bill. Is it Bill? Yeah. Hi, Bill. Ahemza, brother. Ahemza. I want to know, why can we not focus enough positive karma on what's going on in the world so that we can have some effect? It appears that we've already done some good in Korea. And by the way, you want to tell Art anything about the government's involvement in uh, the karma uh, positive uh, feed program? Do you know what he's talking about, Sean? No, no. Maybe you can clarify that, Bill. The positive feed program? Right. The positive thought process where we... Well, this is... Well, let me... Let me jump up on my soapbox for a second. You're absolutely 100% right, and I think that that Art is doing uh, probably one of the greatest services of, of anyone oh, I've ever certainly. seen in having information like this placed out. I, I, I really can't get on the establishment media because every time every time I send my predictions to the newspapers or to the or, or to the TV stations, I've, I've been on TV three times on Channel 9. Well, we're hamstrung in this country by old, uh, old-fashioned old paradigms, you realize that. Well, but it's also because of the fact that, that you know, I've got this girl who runs a news desk at Channel 9, and I'm, I send her stuff all the time, and I say, look, this is when it's going to happen. She says, look, I can't get you on the air because the lady who edits me is scared to death of this type of thing, and they feel that they have a responsibility to not panic the public. My attitude is, is that the more we start talking about this, the more we start talking about not only the predictions, and, and, and let, me talk, let me boil down to what's really important. If you want to know what's really important, we've got a lot of trouble in this country, and the trouble is coming from the fact that people are simply losing their spirituality. They're losing an understanding of the natural laws of the universe, mm. whether or not it's Buddhism or Christianity or Judaism or Baha'i or Sufi or what have you. We have to get back to a more spiritual aspect of living in this country, or this country will be destroyed. I happen to agree with that. I happen to agree with that, Sean. And art, art provides the, the greatest service. You people should be calling Art uh, every day, thanking Art for, for, for getting on the air and having the guts to be able to stand up and say a lot of the things he does and have some of the guests that he has on because it is people like this man that are going to be responsible for changing the nature of this country, for getting us back to a truly constitutional form of government, which will lead, I believe, once the natural catastrophes begin to break up the United States, into a 13 independent country system. Once the federal government goes south or goes bankrupt and the states begin to take responsibility for themselves, it, but it has to start from within. It has to start from the heart and from the soul and from the sword that is about to be forged in each and every single one of us that is going to be used to fight to get back our freedoms, back our personal responsibility. But how many people want that? Actually, Sean, there is a, uh, there's, there are a number of movements already underway uh, to recoup sovereignty for states. Colorado, uh, I believe Florida, um, uh, Hawaii, certainly. Uh, you mentioned them earlier. You, you see kind of a split coming, don't you? Those, those movements will be responsible for the salvation of this country. Those movements are going to be responsible for giving power back to the individual, giving power back to the people involved, 
And as I said, once the natural catastrophes begin to occur, and everything I'm talking about between now and about 1996 or so is filler for much larger, much more substantial earthquakes to occur, starting up in Seattle, going along the western coast of the United States, um, Mount Rainier goes, Mount Pelee goes, and Martinique, which is going to cause a lot of ruptures in, in Florida and the underbelly of the United States. But specifically, because of the natural catastrophes, many of these catastrophes are going to completely derail, in some cases, the plans of, I guess what you would call the New World Order, these governments who want things to go exactly the way they're going because people are enslaved and they don't know it. And, th and those are the best slaves you can have. People that have no clue that, they're, that they are, in, in fact, enslaved just keep going right along with the program, and life gets more unbearable every day, and every single day more of your freedoms get eaten up more and more gradually. But if it happens slowly enough, Sean, like a television slowly going bad, you don't notice it. Correct. Right. Correct. Hold on. We'll be right back to you. Sean Morton is my guest. All right. Now, uh, back to Sean Morton. Hi, Sean. Hi. All right. Back to the telephones. A lot of people hanging in to talk to you. Okay. Uh, first time caller line. You're on the air with Sean Morton. Hi. Yes, Mr. Morton, Spokane, Washington, KSBN. Hi, who's this? Uh, Al. Hi, Al. Yes, sir. Uh, Spokane, i got three things for you. Spokane, do you see anything in Spokane in reference to the earthquake in, uh, or the volcano Mount Rainier? If, if Mount and Rainier blows, there will be no real part of Washington that will be unaffected. And as I said, most of what will occur, the weak side of Mount Rainier faces Seattle. Yeah. Um, which means that if... If the, the people do their job, and if sections of Seattle are going to be evacuated, they're obviously going to be evacuated south into the southern part of Washington. The primary thing of the, of the eruption of Rainier is going to be the fact that Rainier is so large, mm -hmm. the fact that it has such a large mantle to it, and as I've stated, it has the potentiality, because of the pluton that is building up underneath Rainier, to actually dump enough volcanic ash, which is very reflective of the sun's rays, into the Earth's atmosphere, which will then be carried on the various streams down to the lower part of the United States to drop the mean North American temperature by about three degrees, which will lead to uh, very, very big uh, uh, massive storms, uh, worse winters than we've had before, uh, and the possibility of substantial food shortages in the rest of the United States. Okay, the reason I ask, sir, is Spokane has got a lot of volcanic old rock around it. You know? Yes. And my geology teacher at Eastern Washington University said that Spokane... It's not earthquake-prone, you know, but I tend to disagree because how can they tell, you know, so deep under the earth, you know? Well, it's, it's not earthquake. What I was saying early in the program is the fact that the, that the quakes, the Klamath Falls and those areas are having, those aren't real earthquakes. Those mm -hmm. are expansions and, and contractions of the magma flues that run from Rainier down to Mount St. Helens, down to Hood, Lassen, Mount mm -hmm. Shasta, and then go all the way down the center part of, of California, um, ending up, well, then they go down into Mammoth, uh, and then those go all the way down into um, into Mexico, specifically well, Mount, um, uh, Mount uh, Popocatépetl, in Mexico, all the way in southern Mexico. Well, you know, Idaho had an earthquake last week, you know, 5.5. Where was this? It was in uh, Idaho, right next door to Spokane. Yeah. And it never was on the air, and I don't think Art Bell knew about that one. No, I did not. Yes, it was, uh, it was on the news up here in the North Pacific Northwest, you know, mm. and it shook up most of the... Northwestern. Oh, oh no, no, you're right. Wait a minute, caller. No, I did hear about it. It was a little more than a week ago, though. Yes, about a week ago. Mm. But see, they don't, they don't say too much on the national media about these things. Well, I, I should have... Uh, I get the U.S. Geological Survey reports every week. Let me... Uh, if that, in fact, happened, then you've got... Uh, oh, boy. Um, David Copperfield. 
do you know anything about this man that flies and flies with people outside the studio? No, I know he's a magician, but do you think he might have an affiliation with the alien intelligence? <laughs> I'm serious. All right, caller, thank you. Well, I, all right. I have no idea, Al. I don't know. He's a... <laughs> you don't think David Copperfield's tied in with the aliens? Right? I have no idea. <laughs> I think he'd probably appreciate the consideration anyway. Hello yeah. there. On the uh, toll-free line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hello. Yeah, good morning. This is uh, Paul in uh, Fort Bragg. Hi, Paul. How y'all doing? Good, um, thanks. I was, uh, this is just something really curious happened. Uh, you were saying something about your fear about Clinton being assassinated or something along that line. Yes. And when uh, he was over in Normandy, it was really strange. I had uh, two dreams one night, and they were both the same dream, mm -hmm. and it was basically me seeing a headline, uh, Clinton dead. I was, I'm telling you, I was having that same dream. I don't know. I don't know if we're hooked together, but I was. I don't I know. Telling, it, it, I was telling everybody that he was really in danger in Europe. I was surprised. I mean, my prediction is going towards about the end of July or so, but I was surprised something didn't happen to him in Europe. And that's I mean, why, that's why we went to the Secret Service and sent the registered letters and said, you know, we 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 fear for his life. Um, you know, he is the president of the United States. He should be prayed for for guidance and wisdom. Well, for sure, yes. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't want, you know, I don't want anything to happen to the guy. Yeah, I, no, yeah, I don't no, agree no. with him. I don't particularly like him, but I, I don't. I certainly don't think anybody should do anything. Well, I would say this: if prayers would impart wisdom, not enough obviously have been praying. <laughs> no doubt. Well, th well, thanks a lot. That's all I wanted to say. All right, okay, Colin, thanks, thank Paul. you. <laughs> on uh, the wild card line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Good morning. Hi, uh, Art. This is Matt from Portland. Hi, hi Matt. Matt. Hi, uh, Sean. First call. Uh, first of all, uh, I sent you a fax, Art, about I mean uh, the number of the beasts. Six, about that? About six, the triple sixes? Six, yes. Right, mm -hmm. okay. Yes. Um, in it, I wrote to you that my brother and I had the same dream on the same night about uh, the assassination of Clinton. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's kind of spooky. There seems to be a lot of that going around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, Sean, my question to you is, yeah. um, you were on the Montel Williams show. On the 27th of December, yeah. Right, and he said he was going to go up with you to he Area 51. Swore to Whatever God, happened with he that? swore in front of a national audience that he would go with me Area 51, he said, Sean, I've, I, it's my 500th episode of the Montel Williams Show. I swear that I will go out to Area 51 with you. This is my bodyguard, Big Joe. We're going to go with you. Right. We tried to put together the trip together three times. He canceled all three times. Uh, the last time was the 5th of May. I put, I put off a talk I was doing in Las Vegas. I was walking out the door with my airplane ticket in my hand, and his producer called and said, look, this has never happened before, but Montel has called. He's canceled. I didn't even get the call from him. This is what the producer was saying. It came from his assistant, and I said, I don't know, Alex. It sounds to me like he's being got to. And he says, all I can tell you is just I, I've never seen this happen before. Was it, whole, was, it, uh, was, it Montel, was it Montel that was going to go storming into Area 51, was threatening to do that? Well, not storming in. I mean, we were going to take him on top of the hill maybe and show him the base. I mean, if he wanted to go up to the gate, uh, you know, I would... You know, I was sure going to let him. <laughs> so know? you're you're saying he wimped out? Uh, yeah, yeah. I I don't know why, but he There's just basically he swore on the show that he'd go to 51, and we had a follow-up episode planned where the first part was going to be Area 51, and the the second part was going to be about alien abductions and the whole thing. And poof, they they just canceled. That's, there, there you that's go. Call excuse for, as to why though, huh? Well, I, I I can tell you that the Montel Williams show may or may not be on the air next year. Montel has a production company. He's working on a, a one-hour drama series starring himself called The Education of Mr. Waters. Uh, he really doesn't want to do the talk show thing anymore. He wants to get into acting, and he was supposedly shooting his pilot, or he had some 
some conflict of interest with a shooting schedule or something. Hmm. That's that's how it was told to me. That's All right. Well, I that's that's not a very good reason not to do what he promised. Correct. Well, who knows? Maybe we'll go next year. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. All right. A quick call. First time caller line on the air with Sean Morton in about a minute. Hello there. Oh yes, I was calling to get the fax number. I have never. <laughs> you shocked me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm uh, wanting to know if this program is going to be um, available on, through this. Is it CBC Broadcast Network, like they had the Paul Hoagland show? Sorry, Michael, Richard. Richard Hoagland. Yes, it will be. I'll give a number. Okay. And what is your fa the fax number there? Um, it's area code seven zero two seven two seven eight four nine nine. Okay. I was just calling on that. I, I have just started listening from Phoenix, Arizona, KFYI, right. and it's in the middle of the night, and I wake up and I catch parts of it, and this, <laughs> I'm, I just say, yay, Art Bell. <laughs> Me and, too. Yay, uh, Art Bell. <laughs> <laughs> Please, everybody. All right. That's very kind of you, ma'am. Go ahead and fax me whatever you wish. Okay. Thanks. Right. All right. We're going to have to uh, pause here at the top of the hour for the news. Sean Morton is my guest. I warn you, if this kind of thing disturbs you before it's too late for you, turn the radio off. For the rest of you, we'll be right back. Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Much more than just a talk show. To participate in the program, call toll-free 1-800-618-8255. That's 1-800-618-8255. This is the CBC Radio Network. My guest is Sean Morton. I sense a lot of you will want copies of this program, and I would ask, be gentle with our answering service, please. They get swamped. Um, you can order a copy of this program uh, by dialing area code 503-664-7966. Let me repeat that number. It's good 24 hours a day. Area code 503-664-7966. And in view of where it is up in Oregon, I guess you would want to hurry and get your copy. <laughs> uh, before that por portion of Oregon uh, uh, sinks or whatever it is uh, destined to uh, uh, to do. Back now to uh, Sean Morton. And, Sean, once again, you're on the air. Hello. Uh, I, I thought you were on the air. Sean, are you there? Here I am. Can you hear me? I hear you just fine. Okay, good. Uh, let me once again to uh, any of the listeners that want to get my book, uh, The Millennium Factor, Prophecy for the Next 30 Years, uh, or The Gulf Breeze Prophecies, which I co-wrote with Vance Davis, uh, they're more than welcome to call, or I'm sorry, or a subscription to my newsletter, the Delphi Associates, the newsletter you have to have today because it tells you all about tomorrow. Um, please feel free to call 310-217-7579. That's 310-217-7579. Right. And they can get details about uh, about the newsletter and about the uh, uh, how to order the book. John, there are a lot of people worried about... Um um, about uh, this country and about where it's going and about uh, civil unrest and all the rest of it, uh, somebody faxes the following. Do you think there will be martial law in America this summer? Um, 
not this summer, but I think we'll, we, you will see, it is my prediction that you will see martial law in seven major cities by, the, by late 1995. And I think that this will be because of a combination of uh, natural catastrophes, uh, steps taken by the government, uh, some, and basically economic upheavals. Primarily, uh, I, as many other people think, and I don't think it takes psychic powers to predict this, uh, I think that the federal government is actually going to go bankrupt by late 95 to uh, mid-early 1996. Well, uh, there are a lot of economists who would agree with you. And, but I don't think they take it a step further. I think what you're going to see is that in Los Angeles, Chicago, Detroit, uh, Philadelphia, Miami, uh, Washington, D.C., and New York, and those seven major cities, you're going to see the Constitution suspended for a, a period of time, uh, 90 to maybe 120 days. Mm. Uh, you're going to see sweeps for guns throughout most of the, uh, most of the cities. Uh, you're going to see gangs actually working in uh, concert with, uh, as shock troops, I guess you might say, working with, um, well, I can't even call them federal authorities, because I, I think that a lot of them will actually be like like Hessians, like foreign mercenaries. Um, but it's just going to be in the major cities, and a lot of this is going, is going to have to do with, my, with the breakup of the Federal Union. And my long-range prediction for this is that by the year 2005, I see uh, no longer the United States of America. I see something called the NAU, which is the North American Union, which consists of what is left of Mexico and Canada, and then um, 11 other nation-states or independent republics that are comprised of a number of city-states within the United States. We're no longer using the Stars and Stripes as a symbol of federal authority, but in fact we have a what's called the Gaston flag, which is a large uh, yellow flag with a snake-coiled serpent on it, which says, don't tread on me, on the bottom. And it is my belief that this flag will be adopted officially at that time, mm. and that the capital by 2005 of the United States and eventually of much of the world um, will be Omaha, Nebraska, specifically a place that will be called New Omaha uh, with a new economic system that will be based more on food, commodities, and hard metals rather than uh, stocks and bonds. Wow. Um, on the wild card line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Mr. Morton, you, you're a biblical scholar, sir? Yes. Uh, you mentioned earlier about the Pleiadian contact name of, uh, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce this, I'm sorry, Art, uh, Sema... Semyaze. Okay, are, are you familiar with the uncanonized book of Enoch, sir? I am, and it's actually very interesting because I, I know exactly what you're going to say. I knew he, it before you... Semyaze was the leader of the she fallen angels. the leader of the fallen angels, you're exactly Correct. right. Who and who and if you look in, if you look One in, at a time, please. Oh, sorry. If you look in the book of Enoch, it's in chapter 60... 69 of the of the Book of Enoch and Semyaze was in fact the leader of the fallen angels. You're absolutely correct. Who who uh, by that uncanonized book, sir, was sealed up by now. Now I'm not a religious right rightist. Okay, this this is a book that's uncanonized, but according to this this treatise, was sealed up in the desert until the end times, and this angel was the angel who led the. Uh, original revolt of the angels, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, and the, the angels coupling with man, the begetting of the giants, the fields, right. and the film. He was he was the leader of the sons, the, the fallen sons of God. You're exactly right. Correct. Okay. Now, now do, do, do you see what I'm getting at here? I mean, the names are so close that it's, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's somewhat scary. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and I just, I'm, I'm wondering uh, where... 
you know, all these names, and I see these names, and I read these publications, and they're one, two, three, four letters off mm -hmm. of the classic demon uh, names, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, and I'm, I, as I said, I'm not a religious man, I'm a Buddhist, uh, but, uh, you know, Pat Robertson and these other uh, folks, are claiming it's 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 a demonic uh, situation. All right, good. Hold it there. Um, uh, a demonic situation, uh, Sean. Some people would say that what you're saying and the source of what you're saying is demonic. What do you say to them? <laughs> I have no response. I'm going to say that it's not. I, I'm. How do you know? Well, my aspect. I mean, having having studied demonology. I mean, when you're about aspects of demonology, you're talking about someone or something that has the uh, the detriment of the evolution of mankind involved, who uh, attacks the spirit and attacks the soul. My my whole gist of my teachings is to get people to return to the original laws of the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament. Nevertheless, with a lot of what you're saying a hundred years ago, we'd have been building a fire under you. This is true. This is true because I, I also believe in reincarnation, and I also believe in uh, uh, certain spiritual concepts which are still found in the Great Pyramid, which are still found in the original text, and I believe that, that much of modern Christianity was, was corrupted by the Roman Catholic Church when many of the New Testament scriptures were rewritten, um, when anybody who disagreed with the Church was killed um, for many thousands of years, well, for the last 2,000-year epoch, uh, we've been under a lot of imprisonment by a lot of, a lot of um, theology that simply just doesn't work because it's not in tune with the first five books of the Old Testament and, and the original initial Mosaic Code. And I know exactly what that what that gentleman's saying, and mm -hmm. I asked the exact same questions when I got interested in the Billy Meyer case to begin with. I, I was the first one to notice that Samyaze was the leader of the fallen angels in, in the Book of Enoch, and it made me very suspicious of everything that was going on, made me certainly want to double-check what's happening, and I'm, I'm not saying that Billy Meyer knows everything, I'm not saying the Pleiadians know everything, my biggest beef with that entire case is the fact the Pleiadians state they won't help us. They they give Billy Meyer future information, and he locks it up in a vault in Switzerland, and then every time one of his predictions comes through, he, he marches it out saying, look, I locked it up in the vault on this day. See, I'm right, but I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen. And the Pleiadians have basically said, look, you guys are on your own. We're not going to, we won't, if this world gets destroyed, we're not going to lift a finger to help you one way or the other. So, tough. You're, you made your bed, now you're going to have to lie in it. All right. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hi. Hi, good morning, Art. Good morning, Sean. Hi, who's this? This is Mike in Seattle, KBI. Hi, yes, Mike. Uh, I talked to you on Laura Lee once. Remember I told you I had these dreams about these galactic wars? Yeah, that was great. And you told me to write you a letter, and I just haven't gotten around to well, it Well, please get around to it. <laughs> You're still at the Hermosa Beach uh, address, yeah, right? Yeah, 2207 Hermosa Avenue, H-E-R-M-O-S-A, Hermosa Beach, California, 90254, if anybody wants to write. And also you can call the 217-275-7379 uh, 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 number. A couple things, quick things I wanted to ask you about also. Uh, it seemed like uh, this past year I've been thinking a lot you know how they're coming out saying, well, you should go ahead and get your guns now because their government's trying to take away. And yes. They're talking about all this civil unrest. Yes. And the more I think about it, and I've had dreams related to this, I, I have a feeling that you're not gonna, if you try to win these wars physically, you're not, you're gonna, they're just going to beat you and you're going to lose. 
I think the only way the good or the positive forces are going to win is to do it psychically. Well, hmm, wow, uh, you've hit on a really excellent point because that's going to be that's going to be a lot of what the future is going to be about. I, I would also say that it is our job to constantly work for the enlightenment of all sentient beings, and I take that vow very, very seriously. Uh, it is also the future has a lot to do with it working for your own enlightened self-interest, but also. A dog with no teeth is going to get kicked all day. So uh, my suggestion is a well-armed populace is a, uh, is a populace that is, um, uh, can I say, uh, not exactly a wise populace, but a, the, the best defense against anybody, uh, any tyrant, uh, any individual that's going to take away your rights. Be I mean, a gun, sure, an armed populace. Uh, Sean, what is going to happen? Where is gun control going? What do we have to look forward to? I think... Once again, you're going to you're going to see gun control in in the major cities. You're going to see most of the civil unrest and the civil wars are going to be coming from those seven cities that I was talking about. There is no this, way. Yeah, this has troubled me though, Sean. How do you uh, control guns from a central source, the federal government, in the big cities without uh, applying an equal amount of control in the in the country? Well, it's it's because cities are easy to choke off. Cities can't grow their own food. Uh, they rarely have access to their own water. Uh, you don't really have to go from hill to hill and town to town to be able to take them over. True. Uh, Los Angeles, all you'd have to do is basically just choke off the Mulholland Aqueduct, and the whole city would, would die of thirst in about two weeks. Um, specifically, Las Vegas is, is, is also... Well Las, well, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Phoenix, and Albuquerque are primarily artificial environments. They're... I mean, if they're... If the air conditioning went out in Phoenix for a couple of days, you'd have people dropping dead. Ditto here, sure. Yeah, and, and in Las it, Vegas as well. They're artificial environments, which are very, sure. very easily controlled, where you can control the entire population. I mean, if, if you don't have food to eat and you don't have water, a gun's not going to do you any good, unless, you know, unless you're going to take, uh, take somebody on with it. The, everybody talks about the fact that the entire United States is going to be under martial law for an extended period of time, and it's going to be like 1984, and I'm telling you, it's impossible. It's just not going to happen. All right. All right. million guns here. All right, Sean, hold that point. Let me do a little bit of business. We'll come right back to you. Sean Morton is my guest. And as I said earlier, I do sense we have your attention. Once again, Sean Morton. Sean, are you there? Yes, I am, Mark. Good. Well, this is quite a program. I, I guess I ought to caution people. Um, you're going to scare some people uh, with all of this, Sean. What do you what do you say to them? Uh, are these things that are, that are you're saying will absolutely happen or might happen or can be avoided? Or what? Well, let me put it to you this way. We've, when you study the, the prophecies and the predictions of the Great Pyramid, yes, the Great Pyramid of Giza talks about us entering into, I guess, what we would call uh, the next phase of humanity's evolution, what they call the messianic initiative phase of man's evolution. It talks about an event that occurred November 30th, 1985, and the Great Pyramid, through the sacred, sacred geometry in it, states that, and I'm quoting now, uh, powerful spiritual influences will begin to irradiate the enlightened, bringing them closer to spiritual and material perfection. Hmm. Now, from 1985 to 1999, and it specifically points to February 21st of 1999, it says that the spiritual communities or communes of people coming out of the cities, beginning to live back in the land, back in harmony with the earth, back in spirit with God and with each other, that the spiritual communities must be established and that the final establishment of the kingdom of the spirit begins in February of 1999. In between, 
from 1985 and 1999, and the pyramid through most of it is actually rather chatty, where it talks about uh, the sacred geology or the sacred um, uh, the sacred mathematics talk about different events occurring in this phase and that phase and whatever. There's a blank slate, and that blank slate points to the fact that from 1985, when these influences begin to occur, to 1999, where we start going back to the personal responsibility, back to living in tune with the planet, back to living in tune with each other, it's basically saying, say, stating that you can do this the hard way or you can do this the easy way. You can do it the hard way by going through war, civil unrest, natural catastrophes, uh, rioting, massive geological changes, which will spur many out of, out of the cities or into these, uh, into now obeying the laws which they should have been obeying in the first place. Or you can do this the easy way. The way is primarily through one respect for others, starting with a, a, a strong, powerful family unit, uh, loving your wife, loving your children, and then from there, realizing that you're sovereign in your home and king of your castle, so to speak. Uh, All right. Based on, based on current trends, Sean, how are we doing? Not very well. Based on current trends, what we're looking at is we're, we are currently looking at the political breakup and collapse of the United States by late 90, 1995 mm -hmm. to early 1996. We are looking at massive natural catastrophes, specifically earthquakes, that will occur beginning in Washington and then begin to fracture the state of California uh, all the way down uh, so that California by 1997 loses anywhere from 10 to about 35 to 40 miles of coastline. You're seeing, uh, uh, and I have a map in my book, The Millennium Factor, of what I think happened. You're seeing a substantial quake on the New Madrid Fault, which will begin to open the Mississippi River at its mouth. Uh, you're seeing snow that will begin to melt in the, in, the, uh, in the Canadian areas, which will then begin to feed into the Great Lakes, and the Great Lakes will begin to become one large inland sea, mm. with the Mississippi River actually becoming much larger, joining up with the Missouri and a number of other rivers, and then widening uh, to anywhere between 15 miles wide to, as I said, about 100 miles at its, at its mouth. Um, and other, other, other than those changes, the future looks bright, though. Well, it's, you know, the, the pyramid points to, once again, by the year 2025, that there will be small groups of people, 15 to maybe 20% or so, that will begin to evolve, that will come together in these spiritual communities, that will begin to truly live in tune with themselves and with the land. And while you're on that topic, goes to hell in a right, while you're on that topic, Richard Hoagland is going to have a meeting with the Hopis. Yes. Um... And I, it's a very curious thing he's doing, and I wonder on about Well, Richard's primary aspect in meeting with the Hopis, and I'm just theorizing now because I, I, I haven't really talked to him, but it's believed that the Hopis actually came from Mars originally, that they were, um, that when they talk about the upper, or what they call the lower world, that they in fact lived on Mars, and that their legends specifically point to them living on a planet that was of a red rock, where they ran out of water, where they had to melt the polar ice caps and, and create large canals. Right. And if you look at their pottery, uh, their pottery is interesting and unusual because the pottery is actually all exact base reliefs of the surface of Mars. What I guess I'm saying is, though, um, that aspect of the investigation aside, is it not likely that they would uh, talk to Richard Hoagland about exactly the kind of spiritual revival and return to Earth that you're talking about? They would, because... I, I know Grandfather Thomas Benyaka very well. I was just on the Vicki Lawrence show with him. Uh, I had the pleasure of introducing him at the Whole Life Expo. Um, and we're entering into the phase of what is called Koanaskasi, the age of chaos. And right now, we're at the crux point of the Hopi prophecies where they say 
if we keep living like men without heads, as they say, losing mm. our minds, yes. that we will destroy the planet and the great shakings will uh, begin to destroy pretty much everything. And they say that we've already gone through the First and Second World War and the gourd of ashes, which would burn the earth, which is, is the atomic bomb. All right, we're at, we're at the bottom of the hour, so hold that thought. We'll be right back. Otherwise, it's going to be a great future, everybody. This is Coast to Coast AM. In the Kingdom of Nye, toll-free at 1-800-618-8255, 1-800-618-TALK. First-time callers, 702-727-1222, 702-727-1222, or use the wildcard line at 702-727-1295. This is Coast to Coast AM on the CBC Radio Network. Sean Morton is my guest. Hi, everybody. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. And yes, this is some heavy stuff. Prediction, prophecy, and uh, I don't know what to say. Just keep listening. Uh, if you're so inclined, if it scares you, turn it off. Uh, here is a... Um, uh, Sean, if you're there, here's a fax. Uh, hello, Art. Would you please ask your guest the following question? Did Lee Harvey Oswald kill Kennedy? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, actually, can I can I expand on that just a bit? Absolutely. Um, my mother's maiden name is Kennedy, and she was actually second cousins to Joseph Kennedy. And it, it, it's kind of interesting if you know the family background of the feud that went on between CIA and um, uh, the Kennedy family for so many years. Joe Kennedy made the majority of his money off of booze and guns. Whereas most of the very, very moneyed families, like the Roosevelt's, the Delano's, the Walker's, the Bushes, uh, you know, many of the Rothschilds in the 20th century, the Rockefellers, made primarily most of their money off of drugs. And these drugs came specifically, they were uh, primarily opium and heroin, which is how the British monarchy made a great deal of its money uh, by smuggling heroin and, and opium into uh, China around the turn of the century, which is why Hong Kong was originally set up as part of the opium trade and the opium wars with China. In the 1930s, uh, Joseph Kennedy was vehemently opposed to the United States getting involved in World War II. Uh, he led the biggest peace rally in modern times uh, with Charles Lindbergh, 89,000 people at the Los Angeles Coliseum in 1939, uh, all people who did not believe that we should get involved in the war in Europe. Of course, FDR felt completely differently, and uh, at that time, uh, Joe Kennedy was ambassador to the Court of St. James. He was the uh, American ambassador to England. And FDR desperately wanted to get the United States involved in the war, and he set up the OSS, the Office of Special Services, under Wild Bill Donovan, specifically to bait the Germans into attacking America or American interests so that the, the U.S. would have some reason to get involved with the war in Germany. Uh, Joe Kennedy did everything he could to try to sabotage that effort. Uh, he was relieved of his post after the United States did, in fact, get involved. Uh, Mussolini had managed to entirely kick the Mafia out of Italy during that time. Uh, OSS went in and set the Mafia up again uh, to act as a resistance force against Mussolini. Then uh, John Kennedy comes along, and he runs the uh, 
uh, House Investigative Committee on Organized Crime in the 1950s, once Correct. again with the mafia, et cetera, et cetera. So this feud between, uh, well, and the OSS then after the war became the Central Intelligence Agency. So the feud between the Kennedy family and the big moneyed interest that later became uh, basically the CIA became the, the watchdog or the guardian for, uh, they go back many, many, many years. And this had a lot, the, most of it had to do with the fact that uh, Kennedy hated OSS, his father hated the OSS, he hated CIA, and when he got suckered into the whole Bay of Pigs thing, CIA and, and the mafia, who had been friends since the war, uh, decided he had to go. And I think uh, so. It was the CIA and the mafia, primarily. But you can see that you can see the connections between the two of them as to why they wanted to get rid of him. This is the end of side one. Please leave the cassette exactly where it is. Flip it over and begin again. From Stephen. Well, it was just a passy, actually. All right. From Stephen in San Diego, Mr. Morton began speaking about something he called the bearded star, shoemaker Levy Nunn. And how this prediction related to present-day events in Korea, he was sidetracked before he completed the thought and never got back to it. Please ask him to continue. Okay. Um, myself and, uh, and, and Robert Egan, who is the, uh, a, a very serious Nostradamus scholar, I, I jokingly call him Nostrababus affectionately, um, we basically have, have been able to unleash a large number of quatrains in the Nostradamus material that up until now haven't made any sense because nobody knew what the bearded star was. Everybody just assumed it was a comet, but when uh, Nostradamus talks about a comet, he specifically says a comet, not a bearded star. Shoemaker-Levy 9 was discovered a year and a half ago, and it was just Shoemaker-Levy, and then it began to break up into pieces. It was Shoemaker-Levy 2 and then 9, and, were, and is now actually Shoemaker-Levy 24 because it's so many different pieces. Nostradamus specifically states that when the bearded star makes its run, that certain things will occur. One prophecy has already already happened. The Nostradamus prophesied that uh, the great star, all of this has already just happened. We have the great star burning for seven days. is obviously a little bit of nuclear oomph in order to start a chain reaction, which could actually turn it into a second sun. Uh, it's going to burn for seven days because Shoemaker-Levy is going to strike from July 18th to July 25th over uh, actually the 24th over seven day period, the great cloud making the sun appear double. Well, Jupiter is a, is a huge cloud of hydrogen gas. It's going to ignite, making the sun appear double. And at the same time, six weeks ago, the Pope fell down in his bathtub. Now he smashed his hip and then slipped down into the bathtub and actually broke his femur. So he actually broke his hip and his femur. Right. It happened in the evening, where when he and when it's called the large mastiff. Uh, the Pope has always been compared in the Roman press to being a big dog, to being like a, a, a hunting dog. His demeanor, his determination, uh, his dogged determination. Yes. Him howling all night had to do with the fact that his injuries happened in the evening. They couldn't move him. He was allergic to certain drugs. They had problems setting his hip. He basically just screamed for about 24 hours. And he had to then change his abode um, because they had to take him out to the country to convalesce. So that's one of the prophecies that's come true. Also, in the term, in the time of the bearded star... It specifically talks about a monarch being killed that will come from a country whose treasury has been emptied by land and sea, that it will have something to do with a list of, uh, a, a, a list of cities that this monarch would then visit, and the list of cities that Nostradamus gives are the exact cities that Clinton went to in order, basically gives his travel itinerary. And then the last line talks about uh, uh, Turin Interdicte, and the specific line basically talks about an interdict from Rome which the Pope issued while Clinton was there as a slap in the face to Clinton, primarily saying what an interdict is is it's a gag order. 
and that the Pope basically states that this particular topic can no longer be discussed, and that if you do, you will be excommunicated. And that was abortion, women being priests, and, um, and birth control. All three things that were very popular at Clinton. And for the first time in 36 years, Rome basically put the entire Catholic world under a gag order saying these things are not to be discussed anymore. So basically during the run of the star, it would point to this monarch from the country whose treasury has been emptied by land and sea, the United States. The treasury has been emptied by earthquakes. It's been emptied by uh, natural water catastrophes. He just visited Rome. Uh, they've just issued an interdict. Uh, the word Turin means the Shroud of Turin. It basically means a holy relic, which is what Nostradamus was sort of jokingly referring to the Pope as. But it also refers to the death of the Pope in another quatrain, that when the bearded star turns to the north, that the Pope will die between the bed and the sill, before the early morning hours. Now this points directly to the bearded star, which is Shoemaker-Levy, on the 22nd of June, the bearded star will hook to the north, just as it's about to come back into the orbit of Jupiter. And as it does this, Nostradamus relates Jupiter, which is like the Pope of the planet, to the Pope of the Christian world. Now, the death of a Pope doesn't seem like a big thing to us today, but if you're living in the 15th century and something happens to the, uh, oh, the head of all Christendom, it's a big thing. You bet. So this, is, this, acts, this sets off a chain reaction. The death of this Pope will set off a chain reaction where the next Pope, I believe, well, he will be called uh, Gloria Olivas, which means the, glory of olive, the, the glorious olive branch. I believe it will be, will be a man named Basil Hume, who is a Benedictine, and he will be called Leo the Fourteenth. This pope will reign over a, a great rebirth of the Catholic Church for a brief period of time. And then I am seeing the next pope shot in Belgrade, Yugoslavia, having something to do with bringing peace between Bosnia and Serbia. After he is killed, the last of the popes, and this is going to be the last pope that will rule over the Catholic Church, will be called Peter the Roman. It begins with Peter, it ends with Peter. This comes from the Nostradamus prophecies and also from the prophecies of the great Irish prophet Malachi. This, this black priest or this black pope will be lame somehow, like a club foot with like a hunchback. He'll be called the lame priest or the black prince or the black pope, and it will be this pope who will collaborate with the Persian Antichrist because by that time the Catholic Church will be so broke due to everything from lawsuits to archdiocese going bankrupt to the natural catastrophes, mm. that he will cooperate with this Persian Antichrist, who will then basically give him, uh, the Persian Antichrist will give him money in exchange for legitimacy, and the Persian Antichrist will then have access to all of the various texts underneath the Vatican, um, black magic texts, texts on Satanism, I mean, all the things that he's going to use uh, to magically begin to weave his spell to start trying to take over the entire known world. <laughs> and this begins, and, I, and I, can, I can guarantee you that the Black Pope is going to be in, uh, in power by late 1996 for all, all right. of this to fall into line. All right, let me bring another caller on. Um, Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hello. Hello. Hi, uh, who's this? Um, I'm calling from KOH. What's your name? Uh, Kay. Hi, Kay. Kay. Um, I have a question to ask you. Um, do you believe that, uh, according to the uh, biblical scriptures in the Bible, that um, when it's all, uh, when after all the battle of Armageddon, that Jesus Christ will set up his uh, theocracy on earth and reign a thousand years? In other words, will it happen as the Bible says? Um, well, you have to... Uh, 
I have to ask you to go back and take a look at the book of Revelation because I want you to realize that the four-squared city of Jerusalem, which descends from the sky, which then sets up the kingdom of, of Christ as it's stated in the book of Revelation, quite specifically doesn't happen until almost 1,000 years after these events. There's a 1,000-year period before the true millennium. You have you got to read the scriptures because it talks about we're entering a pre-millennial period now in which there will be a 500-year period of what is called the Messianic Initiative. Then there'll be 500 years we'll be able to sort of live things on our own where we won't have spiritual leaders. We'll know how to do it ourselves. And it's not until the we're at the end of the pre-millennial period, which is still another thousand years, that the four-squared city of Jerusalem actually lands and we become part of the Galactic Federation. Galactic yeah, Federation. <laughs> well, I, I, that's that's what I call it. All right, fine. On um, the wild card line, you're on the air with Sean, Sean Morton. Hi. Hi, Sean. Uh, this is Carol, and I'm in uh, Phoenix, KFI, KFYI. Hi, Carol. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Um, just a real quick thing. Um, that earthquake they had in Idaho was on the 7th, and it was a 5.0. Okay. Uh, secondly, um, I don't know, most people aren't even aware of this, but, you know, Krakatoa uh, has been erupting again. Actually, you know, it's the new island that was formed after Krakatoa when it's actually now called Anuk Krakatoa, a child of Krakatoa. Right. There was a, well, there, there was just a, uh, a uh, what was it, a 7.4 quake. Once again, it's very hard again because they've thrown out the Richter scale. So yeah, I know. Is, Everything is like almost a full point lower exactly. uh, than the old Richter scale was. Uh, the surface wave sensor put the quake at a 7.2, which created a tidal wave, uh, which killed, I think, about 150 people um, on the aisle near, near Java. Yes, Krakatoa is active again. Uh, Mount Tall is very active. Uh, these volcanoes are important because they're linchpin points of certain prophecies. For example, when Mount Vesuvius blows in Rome, that is a, 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 the opening chime for many of the major wars that are going to happen in Europe. When Mount uh, Pilay blows in Martinique, which is, which is south of Cuba, that is a direct warning to the people in Florida that when that volcano begins to go, that within a year or so, it is going to create massive tidal activity that is going to be, begin to inundate the, uh, the soft underbelly of the United States and the Gulf of Mexico and also begin to flood large sections of Florida. So these volcanoes are, are, are very, very important because they act as, as warnings in the chain of the events that I see coming. Right. Um, also, speaking of the things over in Italy, you know, they've been also having earthquakes in the Straits of Gibraltar mm -hmm. on a regular basis in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, that's at the opening of the Mediterranean Sea over there. So that puts it right in, the, right in that area. Um, the other thing I was wanted to ask you about, you were talking about uh, Billy Meyer has done another book, the third book of the messages. Yes. Is that going to be available through Wendell Stevens' I, UFO archive? I, I presume. I, uh, Wendell, you know, Wendell prints the books himself, and he only makes about five thousand copies of yeah. them or so. And, uh, but book three is out, and it's it's fascinating. He really saved a lot of the good stuff for the end, and he talks all about Atlantis and Lemuria and, and an, an exact timeline of Earth history, and it's it's pretty fascinating stuff. Oh, because we have followed the thing with Billy Meyer since 1980, and, I mean, the whole thing is just totally fascinating. And, you know, they've had a real hard time uh, trying to debunk any of his stuff, even, you know, under scientific evaluation. Oh, so. there's, just, there's so much proof. There's metal samples, there's That's scientists, right. there's, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. And, and plus, like I said, we're, we're in the process of um, putting the movie together now with uh, two of the biggest producers in, in Hollywood. So. Any idea when that might be coming out? We'll know uh, whether or not the script gets accepted um, 
Probably within the next two weeks. All right, good. Hold on just a moment, Sean. We'll be right back to you. Sean Morton is my guest. And uh, some of this is pretty shocking stuff, so use your own judgment uh, at this time of the morning why you ought to be able to handle it. You all have run me out of fax paper. So I'm going to go in at the hour break and change the fax paper or put new paper in the fax machine. In the meantime, in the meantime, everybody, uh, just hold on. All right, uh, Sean, are you there? I'm here. All right, back we go. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air with Sean Mort Morton. Hi. Yeah, so I'm talking to Morton. You're, you're, he's listening. Yeah, great. Who's this? This is the Hound Dog from uh, Portland, Oregon on 50,000-watt KEX. Oh, how's it going, Hound Dog? Oh, pretty good. <laughs> I just wanted to let you know I had a, uh, a weird experience about two weeks ago. I talked to a, an alien space being. Holy smokes. And uh, he told me that they're going to come to the planet. They mean us no harm, but we must all die because they must sterilize the planet. They're going to heat our the surface of Earth to 2,000 degrees for 100 of our solar years. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, want, I was curious if you had heard anything about that. Well, that will uh, bake us well, won't it? <laughs> No, I haven't heard anything about that. I haven't heard anything about anybody coming to make baked potatoes out of us, no. All right. On the toll-free line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hi. Hello there, toll-free line. Are you there? No, I guess they gave up early. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hi. Uh, California, Art. Yes. Get the radio turned off here. Um, I was curious, Sean, uh, since you're in the L.A. area, um, have you uh, been a, a devoted listener of Gene Scott? Uh... I, I've, I've seen him on the TV a couple of times, but um, I haven't listened to him. I, his TV show went off the air a couple of years ago. I've, I've, I've heard him, and I, I used to listen to him a while back, and then he just got kind of boring. So, he, you know, he just sat there and smoked a cigar for hours on the TV. So. Yeah, I know. But I, when, uh, I used to listen to him in the early 80s myself, and he did a, a lot of interesting studies about the Great Pyramid and uh, about the Pyramid Inch and the, uh, the spiritual significance of that. Yes. Uh, anyway, I, I was uh, curious uh, with this uh, thing about the church and everything. What um, if there's no millennium, uh, as as uh, spoken of in the Bible, according to what uh, uh, Christian teaching says? What will be the first 500 years? Will uh, the lion truly lay down with the lamb? And no, I, I didn't say that. I, I said I said that the true millennium is not going to begin for another thousand years. That we're that we're in a pre-millennial period right now. And that the, the true millennium, where the four-square city of Jerusalem actually physically lands, happens, I mean, and if you look at the spacing in the Bible, it doesn't happen for uh, almost another thousand years. So there will be a millennial period. It just doesn't, it's just not going to happen right away. All right. Um, the, great, the Great Pyramid talks about, I mean, if, if you want specifically what the Great Pyramid states, the Great Pyramid states that we're already in the age of the resurrection of the quick and the dead, so to speak, that that the dead in Christ or the God-knowing ones will rise first, and that this began with an age of universal reincarnation beginning in 1914, so that everybody who has ever lived will actually be on the planet when all of these basic, all of these natural catastrophes and all these great judgments come, we'll have a population of about between 6 and 8 billion or so. That um, as we enter this phase, that the next messianic figure, and I'll give you the specific date that the pyramid gives, there is another messianic figure, and the Great Pyramid predicted the, the place that Christ would be born the first time, predicted the approximate date, which was September 27th of 2 B.C. It states that the next messianic figure will be physically born, again, as a physical person, in um, near Stonehenge, England, 
that this individual will rule as a, I guess, as a king or a, a, a king or a queen uh, for a 120-year period, and that there would be four more of these messianic figures, and it, it might be the same one that then leaves and comes back for a 500-year period, and then around the toy, well, actually 2449 is when the last of these great spiritual leaders incarnates, and then we have 500 years where we don't use the teachers at all. We, we get it right. We understand that the true essence of the creation is within ourselves. We all become messianic figures, and uh, or literally we all become God-knowing, so to speak. We live like that for 500 years or so. Um, there's a sliding back to the old ways for a brief period of time, which causes war and what have you, around the year 2900. And then finally, this, the capstone returns to the pyramid, and then you have the beginning of the true millennium. That's according to the Great Pyramid dating. So then finally we get it. Finally we get it, yes, <laughs> finally. All right, on the toll-free line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hi. Hi, is this me? It is you. Meta dittos. <laughs> uh, this is Brian in Seattle. Hi, Hi Brian. From KVI. I was wondering if you or Sean has ever read the book called uh, The Raw Material. I've not. I've, I've, I've skimmed through it. I've, I'm familiar with. Oh it. yeah, it was, yeah, you're familiar with it. It's not really a one of the. It's not really a skimming book, but it contains uh, information from a supposedly, uh, basically a distilled, uh, sixth density kind of a. Uh, how shall I say? Well, it's from, union. Yeah, from supposedly Ra, who is a spirit who came through this lady under certain types of trance and what have you. Well, you know, yeah, okay. But the the point I'm trying to get at is, uh, or actually, the, the question I had for you. Is um, it's it, it, it sparked me when I was hearing you talk about the Galactic Federation. Um, do you believe in uh, total dual, duality separation of uh, of mankind into two different distinct uh, directions? All right, it'll have to be a quick answer, Sean. Um, uh, no, Ma everybody has their own personal path. I think mankind will, will begin to polarize where we have. Uh, we have groups of people who begin to uh, become enlightened very rapidly. We'll have groups of people who will just go straight down into the pit, so to speak. We'll have groups of people who will have to continue to come back over and over again because they don't get it. So it, it, it polarizes into a number of, uh, of, of different paths. If there is reincarnation, Sean, uh, how, how does reincarnation or the, the theory of it uh, account for the fact that we are increasing in our numbers? Um, well, it... I've always wondered about that. That's what I was talking about. Is that is it supposedly everyone who has either who has ever lived will be here now for this for this particular phase? Um, and as far as increasing in our in our numbers goes, I mean you have to understand that that we have had a super technology civilization on this planet for for I think at least the better part of forty thousand years, and possibly as far back as ninety to about a hundred thousand years or so. So toward so, the end uh, um, or the change, the gangs all here. Everybody shows up for the graduation. Yes. Sean, um, hold on. We've gone this far. Might as well do the whole ball of wax. We'll see you after the news. You're listening to the CBC Radio Network. I'm Art Bell. Kingdom of Nine and Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Now here again is Art. Here again is Art. Hi, everybody. This has been quite a show, hasn't it? Sean Morton continues to be my guest into Hour 5. Prediction, prophecy, reality, fantasy, 
I don't know. You decide for yourself. But he sure is a bright guy, isn't he? Once again, Sean Morton. Sean, are you there? I am. All right, here's a fact, Sean. Do you think that the, uh, that the interest in the course of miracles will help bring back our society to the state of spirituality needed to save our planet? If not, what do we need to do? Um, I, I'm not really familiar with the Course in Miracles. Um, what do we need to do? Uh, I've been talking about it for most of, most of the evening, and, and you talk about it on your show all the time. It has, sure. a, it has a lot to do with, uh, with uh, self-reliance, respect for others and basically just getting back to a, a, a simple path of uh, uh, love and respect for ourselves, for our friends and family, and, and ultimately for the earth. But right now, um, if you had to depend on the current course, uh, your advice, no doubt, would be head for the caves. Well, my advice would be, yeah, that you, that, as I said, you should go where the freedom is. You should go where uh, I believe that um, the American Indians... Uh, those of them who have lived in harmony with the land, and uh, would you advise people get out of the cities? It would. I don't think they have to do it right away. I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to. Uh, I'm trying to point out that there are going to be a number of um, events that will occur as triggers. Uh, you know, of course, my my ultimately suggestion would be is to get to a place where where you have access to water, uh, access to. Uh, land uh, and a, a place to grow food, and eventually, one way or the other, people are going to come start coming out of the cities as they are now, and begin to grow food and begin to form primarily uh, uh, physical, social, and spiritual communities. And uh, those who get out of the cities first and begin to form those communities first, they will notice that many, many other people will also begin to come out of the cities and, and follow their example. All right. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hi. Hi. Uh, this is Mark in Berkeley listening to uh, KSRO out of San, uh, Santa Rosa. Yes. Um, just got to ask him, how are the Illuminati mixed up in all of this? Has oh. he got any uh, indication about them, or if that's just a story that people have told over the years? All right. Uh, conspiratorial uh, lore... Uh, Sean, or the real thing? Sean? Where'd he go, Sean? Uh-oh. I think we lost Sean. So um, what I'm going to do is to reestablish contact with Sean. And uh, let me see exactly how can I do that. Well, I'll tell you what. This is live radio, folks. So let's just, uh, let's just try and do it right here. Uh, it says here in fine print. The trouble is, every single line here is locked up. Here we go. Let me try this. Uh, let's see. Mm -hmm. This happens every now and then. It is the nature of radio, that, or I guess of the telephone system, that every now and then uh, you frankly uh, lose it. It happens. Sean, are you there? No, now his line is busy. Sean, if you're out there, uh, please hang up your telephone. Repeat, hang up your telephone, and um, we'll try and uh, we'll try and get you back. Um, the we didn't do that. The telephone company did it. I'm sorry to say. And so uh, we're going to continue to try to reconnect with Sean. And uh, I think that he's trying to reach me on another line. As you so once again, we're going to try and reestablish communications, and we'll be right. The telephone system dumped us. 
It does that every now and then, particularly in the middle of the morning, and uh, every line was so locked that I couldn't get an outgoing line. But I've done it, and once again, here is Sean Morton. Yeah, Sean? We're, we're back. They can't get rid of us that easy. That's right. Lots of adversity, but we've got them covered. All right. Um, back to the telephones. A lot of people want to talk to you. Every line, I think we're jamming up the entire exchange here. Oh, my goodness. On the uh, toll-free line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hi. Uh, hello, Art. Hello. Uh, my name is Bill, and I'm from Grant Pass, Oregon. Oh, Hi, yes. A very hot area. Well, uh, quite frankly, to tell you the truth, I I just think that, that your guest has been severely misled in life. Uh, no doubt being led down the path by the devil? Yes. I guess that. Uh, and we addressed that. All right, Sean, there you've got it. Uh, there is one. They think that you're being influenced by dark forces. Hmm. And I would ask you again, how can you be sure you're not? I have no answer for that other than the fact that I I follow spirit every day. I pray. I meditate every day. I've I've always asked the uh, I've always asked the creation for wisdom every single day. And I I certainly hope that the things that I'm saying are more of a warning uh, than anything else. I suppose I, if I knew these things and and simply didn't talk about them and didn't warn people of them and didn't tell them of uh, of things going on and didn't warn them that they have to change their life and get back to a simpler path and uh, go back to the true laws of creation and, and start studying the first five books of the Old Testament and understanding the uh, that they were set up to successfully set up a society and and uh, and, and love one another. I, I I don't I don't know. It's, it's it's not my job to change anybody's vision, Art. It's not my job to change anybody's religion or anybody's vision. I think that um, I understand all religions and philosophies are are equally good if they are if they are practiced properly for the, the betterment of themselves and others. All right, Sean. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Good morning. Yes, Art. Uh, this is Dan from the University District in Seattle, KVI. Yes, Dan. I just sent a fax to you for Sean. Yes, I, I got it, but, sir, um, I'm, you know, I'm on the air, and I, I just there's not an opportunity to pass along that info right now. Okay. Uh, if you could relay that to him uh, sometime tonight, that would be well, great. Well, I, I guess, uh, Sean, we can just tell you right now, this man wants to get hold of you. Okay. And uh, I guess you've got a number where he can do that, right? Yeah, here's a, here's a number for people to call for uh, information or leave a message. It's, uh, once again, t uh, area code 310 217 Seven five seven nine. That's three ten two seventeen seventy five seventy nine. Uh, you can call that uh, uh, for information about ordering my newsletter, the Delphi Associates. Uh, and he can also get hold of you at that number, right? Yes, I'm. I'm just hoping that you know I'll, I'll uh, just keep trying because it's a voicemail, and of course the mailbox gets jammed, and you know I've got to clear it every day, and so you know there'll there'll be a space available uh, as soon as I. I Clear the uh, clear the box, and I'm sure it's already full now. <laughs> All right, caller. Okay, will you be checking that um, line tonight? I, I, I will first thing first thing in the morning. And if you have any information about what's going on in Seattle and uh, you know what's happening up there as far as Mount Rainier or uh, you know um, any quakes or anything that's happening up there, I'd, I'd very much like to know it. All right, very good. Well, I would like to talk to you uh, as soon as possible. Okay. Thank you. All right. Okay, thanks, Thank man. you, and uh, have a good morning, caller. Wildcard line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hi. Yeah, hi, Art. Yes, speak hi. up good and loud, ma'am. You're hard to hear. Yeah, hi. Good morning. This is Debbie from Mesa, Arizona. Yes, hi, Debbie. Debbie. Hi, Sean. 
A couple of questions. Uh, first one is, is Clinton intentionally trying to head this country toward the totalitarian government? Uh, I think, you know, he's certainly heading that way. Um, I think that there are certain forces. Him being a, 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 a democratic president, uh, and I mean that in the loosest political term, uh, you're seeing the same pattern going with, I think, Clinton that happened with uh, Jimmy Carter. Um, when Jimmy Carter was elected, it was my belief that Jimmy Carter was primarily only put into office just to do one thing, and that was to pass the Panama Canal treaties, make sure we gave a lot to Panama Canal, gave the Panamanians $2 billion to, to uh, take it off our hands, and provide a totally free country uh, so that the very big moneyed interest in this country could actually move drugs through the Panama Canal very easily. I think Clinton was primarily put in um, specifically to get NAFTA and GATT passed. Uh, they have a lot of wars planned. I think the, uh, the one problem that they may have with Clinton is the fact that uh, you might want to say a lot of bad things about him. However, he does seem to be a pacifist. He is not primarily pro-military and never has been. And there's a question of whether or not the military would actually follow him if he got us into a number of campaigns. Unfortunately, like, a lot of so-called pacifists get us into wars. Anything else, ma'am? Uh, yes, sir. Was Vince Foster, was that a suicide or a murder? All right. Thank you. Vince Foster. Uh, I, I think the evidence points to it very, very clearly that if it, that if it was a suicide, it was the most ridiculous suicide ever. It's, and, and I do believe that there was some skullduggery involved. The entire Clinton administration sort of reminds me of the Godfather meets the Beverly Hillbillies. It's a <laughs> <laughs> That's the funniest thing you've said all night. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hi. Well, you've done it again. You've got a brilliant guest. Uh, thank you. Ah, uh, shucks. Thank you. Uh, this is Bob from Sacramento. Yes, Bob. KSC. Yes. Uh, I, I respect this guy tremendously, but, you know, I have to say that... Uh, you know, I study the pyramids, and uh, you can read anything in that thing you want to. The, the definitive, definitive work on the pyramid was done by uh, uh, Adam Rutherford out of England, and it was a four-volume uh, work, and it, it was based on the, the. It's based on Jesus. It's uh, it's the Bible cut in stone, and now. The United States is, or, yeah, our country is being invaded by Eastern religions. And I'm afraid your friend there is influenced by Eastern religions because the Christian Bible doesn't talk about... Well, I think there is absolutely no question about the fact that there, there is that influence. We've been listening to it all night. Well, you know, when you play with the Ouija board, you're, you're not going to get the... Sir, I don't play with the Ouija board. That's not me. Well, this other fellow did. Well, the uh, soldiers, and I don't think uh, Jesus deals through the Ouija board. All right. Well, uh, again, uh, sir, that's, Sean. That's not me. I, that's, that's that's right. That's Vance Davis. Yeah, I, I, think I he's, simply he's wrote a book confused. about his adventures and and published his his prophecies. All right. Uh, that's a good answer. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hi. Hi. I missed a lot of your uh, a lot of the show tonight. It's a great show. This is Brian from Albuquerque, and I was wondering about the those seven cities where he said they were going to have. Uh, Martial law declared, gun sweeps and all. Yes. Um, Los, An Los Angeles, Miami, Detroit, Philadelphia, Chicago, um, New York, and uh, Washington, D.C. And what about the rest of the country? What's going to be going on uh, with the rest of us? Well, I, I believe, as I said, I think that many of the rural areas are going to be left alone. 
Um, it would be virtually impossible to invade and occupy all the United States, especially with as well armed as we are. Um, you're going to see in the United States virtually the same thing uh, politically and socially and economically that happened to Russia, that we're basically just going to collapse, that it's going to go back to a large number of city-states, or should I say independent republic republics run by city-states, um, and you have to remember, too, that the one thing that makes the United States a superpower is the fact that we have the ability to grow food, and we have the ability to get it places. We have roads. The Russians grow as much food as we do, but they don't have roads to get it anywhere. Yeah. So it's not going to be as bad. Many people will be moving out of the cities into the rural areas simply because that's where the food and the water is, and because there are going to be so many natural catastrophes, specifically along the coast, uh, California, Florida, um, New York City will be pretty much evacuated by 1999. Uh, there will be an attack on New York City by this uh, Antichrist individual by July of 1999. It's one of the only prophecies that Nostradamus gives us. A, you know, he doesn't play around. He gives us an exact date. He talks about July 7th of 1999. The new city is destroyed by some sort of atomic attack. And uh, I believe that that's the beginning of a great 27-year war which will, for a period of time, pit the United States against the Islamic republics, which will team up with China. And that sounds that great, means, I guess. I'm sorry? Sounds great. Well, it's, <laughs> but, but I don't think the United States is going to be involved in it. I think that because of uh, the natural catastrophes and the breakup of the United States... Uh, well, I don't know. If they nuke New York City, I think we're probably going to be involved. Well, we'll be, we'll be involved to an extent of where, by that time... It'll be a question of whether or not the entire United States actually wants to get involved in the affair, because it, it is my belief that the United States will not be the United States anymore. It, they will not be able, if anything, the rest of the country will be warring with the economic interest in New York and the political interest in Washington. Mm. It'll be a, very much a civil war situation. Boy, it's all coming very quickly, isn't it? Yes, sir. All right, on the wild card line, you're on the air with Sean Morton, about two minutes. Hello. Okay, hi, I'm Stan in uh, San Diego, getting ready for Dreamland on June 19th. Yes, Stan. Uh, quickly, I have a, uh, a daughter of a friend of mine who spent two years in uh, Tibet uh, dodging Chinese officials, taking pictures, doing work, and so forth. What, is the, uh, what do you see as the uh, uh, outcome or the fate of the Dalai Lama and the Tibetans? And another thing, if uh, North Korea does uh, send this missile over and the Mrs. Tokyo you said will Tokyo strike back I, I have a feeling that they have their own nukes already and if they don't they can probably do it over their lunch hour yeah that. that's, that's a good point um, All right. well the according to the Nostradamian prophecy that, that we are currently studying right now there seems to be an attack which misses Tokyo which destroys a structure that Nostradamus calls the part excuse me the, the Parthenon uh, and there is a Parthenon structure at the foot of Mount Fujiyama um, I think that if that occurs, I do think the United States will go in uh, lock, stock, and barrel and virtually level North Korea. Um, I think we've got, we got the guns over there to do it. We've got the planes to do it. Um, you know, I think it obviously would be a big mistake on their part. You think it would be a conventional leveling? Uh, I think we might just fight fire with fire. I think it will be a conventional leveling just to say, I mean, we've got enough conventional weapons now to basically just blow them back into the Stone Age. Uh, it'd be a big mistake. I mean, it, you know, even Clinton has said if you fire a weapon like this, that 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 North Korea will cease to exist. Uh, as far as Tibet 
goes, it is my belief that Tibet is what, what we call the root chakra of the planet. Very quickly. Uh, and uh, I certainly see a return uh, of the, the spiritual leaders in Tibet uh, after many of the great wars All about right. 20 years from now. That's going to do it. Half hour mark. Right back. You're hearing Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell on the CBC Radio Network. Good morning. Sean Morton is my guest, and we'll get back to him in just a moment. Now, this program has been so packed full of um, incredible information that I can imagine you might want a copy of it. So I've got a lot of faxes asking. Here's how to get it. 24 hours a day, including right now, call area code Five zero three six six four seven nine six six. And by the way, that applies also to the Richard Hoagland show. Any other special program we've done, the Dreamland series is available. It's area code five zero three six six four seven nine six six. Now back to Sean Morton. And, Sean, why don't you give out your telephone number uh, and address as well? Okay. Once again, for anybody that uh, is interested in ordering the book, The Millennium Factor, uh, I don't know if I should give out prices or not, but, uh, oh, well, uh, The Millennium Factor is $20. Uh, the Gulf Breeze Prophecies is uh, $25. Uh, if you want to order both books, uh, they're $40, and I'll throw in the uh, postage and handling. Um, if you want to order the Delphi Associates newsletter, uh, which is the predictive newsletter that I write every month. Um, that's $45 for a 12-issue subscription, and you can make all checks payable to PRI. That's the Prophecy Research Institute, PRI, and it's located at 2207 Hermosa Avenue, H-E-R-M-O-S-A, Hermosa Beach, California, 90254. And if you didn't get all that, I'll give you the phone number, and you can call the uh, the voicemail, which is 310 310- Two one seven seven five seven nine. No connection, Sean, to the PRI in Mexico, right? Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is the end of side one. Please leave the cassette exactly where it is, flip it over, and begin again. Wildcard line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Andy in Santa Barbara. Hello, Andy. I'd just like to say to start out with uh, Sean, you sound great. I've heard a lot of uh, so-called predictioners out there, and they usually stumble through some of the kind of questions you've gotten tonight, and you haven't better than I had them. Well, thanks, Andy. I've, well, I, I, you know, I, I, I walk my talk. <laughs> it sure seems like it. Thanks. A um, couple of comments that are uh, along the lines um, here, and I, I live in Santa Barbara, but I listen to a lot of L.A. stations. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you caught last night, Channel 5, 10 o'clock news. They had a story about March and uh, Norton Air Force Base. Right. They called in the um, Red Cross to set up repatriation centers for South Korean refugees, hmm. which might be interesting. And also, they had a story on hard copy a couple of days ago about a widow of a Dallas police officer who told her that he's the assassin of JFK. Huh. And, and he actually had pictures of Lee Harvey Oswald, the famous 
picture rifle with the, you know, the picture with him with the rifle. Right. He had copies of that that, you know, different poses that they'd never seen before. Uh-huh. And they don't know how he got them. He claimed to his wife that he was the actual gunman on the grassy knoll. Interesting. And she had a deathbed confession of it. She was dying of emphysema. Certainly possible. Yeah. So my question to you is that somebody's mentioned the Illuminati. Yes. And my mother's real big on the Illuminati, and she's got all the claims about uh, the, the Masons. Uh-huh. And their connection to the Tower of Babel and back hundreds and hundreds of years. Right. What do you know about them? Are they involved or it's all... Well, just, I mean, let me give it to you just in brief and how I, I believe the Masons got involved. Uh, the Illuminati was an organization that was started by Adam Weishaupt in uh, 1776. Weishaupt basically went to a, a, a number of 33rd degree Masons all across Europe, and Weishaupt basically just invented a 34th, 5th, and 6th level of Masonry, went to, a, went to all these men that were... 32nd, 33rd degree Masons and said, I represent the true white brotherhood. You've been such a good Mason that we're going to initiate you into the real secret teachings. Um, and basically played to their egos. And he, and he was successful beyond his wildest dreams. And his dream was eventual world conquest, and, the way, and, and specifically through economic conquest. And the way to do this had to be to get rid of most of the monarchies in Europe and begin to create uh, democracies where the people the people who would lead the people uh, were always picked and chosen by the people with the most money. And Weishaupt was fabulously successful. And I think that's what the connection with the Masons was, is that these very successful Masons became what you would call 34th, 5th, and 6th level Illuminati. Hmm. Um, but remember how evil the organization was, because uh, uh, international communism was a branch of the Illuminati originally. That's why both China and Russia used to celebrate May 1st. Uh, because uh, as May Day, because that was the formation of the original Bavarian Illuminati. And, of course, communism succeeded beyond their wildest dreams. Uh, the Illuminati was specifically based on a worship of Lucifer, uh, the angel of light or the angel of illumination. Uh, the Alice Bailey teachings, I think, were very interesting because Alice Bailey used to publish under the name Lucifer Press uh, directly as part of the Illuminati. Um, and then she changed it to Lucius because I guess so many people were getting upset by that. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I think the general, you know, the majority of Masons, and I think the Masons that started this country are, are, are very good, decent people. Yes, they are. The, um, the Masons actually do a lot of good, Sean. And they've done a lot of good, and, you know, our forefathers were all, were all Masons, and I think that the Masons got involved, the very top level of Masonry got involved because they were uh, basically initially fooled by Weishaupt and then got uh, addicted to the, uh, I guess, to the evil of it and to the, the economic and social power that they welded by saying, well... You know, I'll give you a job if you join my group, and you'll help me, and I'll help your kids, and in the long run, we'll eventually conquer the world. And um, you know, they I, and I think they're in the process of doing so through international finance, which is, uh, you know, I doesn't that's not a, a a big leap of faith to take to make that statement. All right, on the toll-free line, uh, with time evaporating, Sean Morton is all yours. Hello, you're on the air. Yes, good morning, uh, Sean. I would like to know. If you know the um, Richter number of the Colombian earthquake, the the Richter scale number was eight point eight point one. Okay. The 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 surface wave sensor, or the SWS, was seven four, and it was four hundred miles beneath the Earth's crust in uh, Bolivia. Yes. And it shook the Midwest. Well, it was felt as far north as Canada. Um, I'm curious, uh, Sean. How many earthquakes are that deep? How rare was that? They're, they're very rare. I mean, they're, they're very rare. That's, that's a long way down under, under the mantle. And when you have earthquakes, as I said, uh, 400 miles or so down, it means that a fundamental change is coming in the, in the actual mantle of the earth. They're not, 
And to give you an example, most of the California uh, fault teams and fault lines probably only go down maybe six miles to ten miles top. I mean, that's mm. a deep, deep quake. That's a fundamental shifting in the in the platelets of the Earth. So something 400 miles deep is truly fundamental. Yeah, and something that means something's happening, and because that edge is beginning to go, uh, it's it's basically probably going to work its way up once again into the Midwest because mm. that that fault line is directly connected to the New Madrid fault. All right, on the wild card line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hello. Hi, Art. Hello. Ed from Albuquerque. Hello, Ed. Yes, uh, Sean. Um, I'm still a little of Art's thunder um, on, re on increasing numbers on reincarnation. On what? I'm sorry. On reincarnation. Yes, sir. I, I just I just distill it to uh, maybe an inherited collective consciousness. But yes. uh, uh, how I see it, uh, you sort of lose the connection with the past. I mean, you know, where you can't you can't bring what was there it has, isn't brought forward. It, well, if I if that isn't Clear. Let me go on to another question on comparative religion. Please, it's late. <laughs> okay, great. I've been up a long time. All right. Um, if all religions, I mean, give an explanation for a beginning, I guess just to follow a spiritual guidance, mm -hmm. then wouldn't you say that uh, if you compare one with the other, that one would have to be a story, and the other would be a uh, story or a myth, and the other would be a line of history or a fact? Mm, I don't know if it's just late, but I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure I'm, I understand. I'm not reason. sure I do either. Try again, caller. <laughs> well, well, religion to me, uh, you know, I can go to a, go to a book, and it's been handed down for generations and generations. Right. And you said that the Catholic Church, yes, has had some, uh, you know, had, has not handed down. There's been some changes in it. Correct. Okay, well, that's that's the New Testament. But how about the Old Testament, where uh, how do we know what we can just uh, decipher between uh, what story, myth, or what's a line of history in fact. Well, All right. primarily, let me let me put it to you this way: the very word religion means to regulate belief. It means to regulate a belief system, and it's it's much different from what you would call a personal path of spirituality. the The books of the Old Testament. I mean, whether whether you want to believe them or you don't want to believe them, the first five books of the Old Testament, otherwise known as the Mosaic Code, were responsible for setting up probably one of the, some of the most powerful and most long-lived and long-lasting uh, uh, civilizations on Earth. And the entire story of the Old Testament is basically Yahweh or Jehovah plants a race of people on this planet, Adam and Eve. They were not created in the first seven days. They were created well after the first part of the creation. They were a specific race of people. Yahweh comes down and basically says, look, here's the operating manual for planet Earth. If you obey these laws and these codes and these dictums, you will prosper possess the gates of your enemies, be, uh, and be healthy, and live a long time. You disobey them, and the earth itself will strike back at you. You will have fires, floods, famines, wars, all the things that are happening to the United States right now. They went in seven-year and seven-day cycles. You obeyed the Sabbath by resting every seventh day. Every seventh year, you repudiated all debts, freed all petty criminals, uh, and basically gave everybody a chance to totally start over. And then every 49th and 50th year... You not only killed all the crops under so that the crops... Well, I'm sorry, every seventh year you let the land lie fallow, which means you didn't grow crops on the land, you let it rest, which broke the pest cycle and restored the topsoil. And then the most important thing was every 49th and 50th year, you gave all the land back to the people that originally owned it. Why did you do this? Because it kept all the land and all the money and all the power from accumulating in the hands of 1% of the people. Right. And if you want to know what's going on in the world today... 
1% of the people are owning and controlling everything, and once that happens, the revolution that occurs from everybody that doesn't have anything mm-hmm. will, be, will be massive and it will be bloody, and this country is basically at the end of its political cycle because we have not obeyed those laws. Is that clear? Uh, I think it is, yes. Um, Sean, I want to tell everybody that we uh, they will hear you again here. We have scheduled you for Dreamland. I believe the date might be August 8th. Is that correct? Uh, actually, I think it was the 7th. Your 7th. lovely wife told me it was August 7th. August 7th. Yes. Uh, all right, very good. Uh, just wanted to get that promo in on the wild card line. You're on the air with Sean Morton. Hi. Yeah, this is uh, Doc Democrat. Hello. Now, Sean, you said that uh, President Clinton is sending B-52 bombers and stealth fighters over to... Uh, North Korea. Well, se- se- 72 hours ago, I got I got word that there were that that the green light was go and that some sort of attack was imminent. Uh, now, is the United States going to win this war? Uh, yeah. <laughs> is uh, President Clinton going to get credit for it then? Uh, I believe so. Yes. <laughs> well, how can that be? You said he's going to be assassinated by July. Well, the war will probably occur between now and then. Oh, I mean, so in other words, we're, he'll we're get, get credit for the victory, and then they'll kill him. Well, we're getting ready to go. Well, remember, I what I was saying was that my vision of this had something to do with Bosnia and Serbia, not Korea. It had something to do with Bosnia and Serbia and had something to do with foreign affairs. So uh, the, my initial prediction, and this was months ago, actually years ago, was that his demise would come from from something that had to do with Bosnia and Serbia, have to do with an assassination attempt that came from that area. An attempt, but they won't be successful. I I believe they will be. But in other words, uh, the main thing here is that Bill Clinton's going to have a major foreign policy victory in North Korea first. <laughs> well, let's uh, you know, let's certainly uh, hope so. But uh, uh, then again, I want to remind you that Korea is not Iraq. It's not. It's not going to be easy. We can't just go. We don't even, we're not even sure where the bombs are. You know something? Listening to him, I think he was actually more concerned with Bill Clinton getting credit for, uh, for winning a war in Korea than he was with what might happen to Bill Clinton. Right. <laughs> oh, well, well, sir, I, I want to reiterate again, for the record, I don't want anything to happen to the guy. I, uh, yeah. I, wish, I wish harm to no one. This was simply a warning. That was why we had the guts to actually send the letters, go to the Secret Service, and state to the Secret Service, look, this is what we think is happening. Uh, you guys need to protect him. Uh, we feel that his life is in danger, All right. and, and um, that was what I and that was what we did as citizens and, and basically people who were concerned about it. All right, toll free line. You're on the air with Sean Morton. Yeah, a couple of quick questions. Your your opinion of the '96 elections, and what's your opinion of Al Bielek's story? All right, uh, uh, I've known Al Bielek for a long time. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, my partner uh, Peter Alexander went with Al and did the video uh, Montauk Revisited back there. Um, I think it's got a lot of validity to it. I haven't been able to disprove any part of it. Ninety-six elections? About the ninety-six elections, I think they're very strange. There's not only a lot of confusion around the ninety-six elections, it looks almost as though that whoever is president by 1996 is appointed. Um, Mm. I also have something, I mean, to answer that that other question, too, about Clinton, I've got sort of a weird scenario here I'd like to lay on you. All right, go ahead. If... Gore becomes president of the United States, it is my belief that Jay Rockefeller will become vice president of the United States. And that if, in fact, something happens to Gore, wouldn't it be interesting that we would have Jay Rockefeller as president of the United States and also executor of the bankruptcy? (laughs) Yeah, the timing would be about right. It would be just about right. And Lawrence Rockefeller is very, very interested. That's, That's Jay's dad. 
uh, Lawrence Rockefeller is very interested in taking the federal government bankrupt and, and reestablishing Rockefeller control over the United States and basically uh, uh, destroying the European banking cartels once and for all because the whole ship of state has been cast adrift ever since the death of Baron von Rothschild about four years ago. All right. All right. We don't have a lot of time uh, okay. trying to get everybody in. On the toll-free line, you're on the air with Sean Morton. Hello. Yes, this is uh, Al and Eugene. Hi, Al. Hi. Uh, I, I'd like to hear uh, what you have to say uh, about Mexico and then uh, maybe a little bit on uh, anything you know about the greys and the reptilians. Okay. Mexico, right. Mexico City, in, in my predictions, will be the country that will be the most damaged and the most destroyed by the coming quakes. Oh, really? After the major quakes in California, what will happen is, is that if the Juan de Fuco plate ruptures, you will have what is called Coco's Plate uh, begin to fracture and actually begin to twist. Mexico City and Guadalajara sit not only on a swamp, but right on a fractured platelet. It's a large triangular platelet that runs right between Guadalajara and Mexico City. Mexico City's got 27 million people. Guadalajara's got almost 20. And they're getting ready for Mount Popocatépetl to explode. That's also the next major volcano that's going to go off. I believe that Mexico will be, will be flooded on both coasts and that most of what uh, will be left of Mexico by the year 2000 to 2001 will be one large chunk of islands in the center, mostly the mountains. But Mexico is the place that is the most damaged by a majority of the quakes. As far as the, the greys and the, and the, uh, the reptilians, I actually don't think we have time to get into that. That's a whole other subject. It certainly is. Wild Card Line, you're on the air with uh, Sean Morton. Hi. Hi, Sean. KOH up here in Reno. Um, I believe on the... Uh, southern border of North Korea, they had built a huge dam yes. that if that dam ever blew, it would wipe out hundreds of square miles, maybe a piece 10 by 50, yes. down in, um, including the city of Seoul with a standing body of water about 6 to 12 feet, which would virtually wipe out every aircraft and every piece of equipment on the ground. I'm not familiar with the dam, so okay. I, don't, I don't know. Okay, could be wrong. And then in your, in your psychic, do you see... What the heck is going to happen to our Congress and all of those that bankrupted us? And one other point, any thoughts on Waco? All right, thank you. Um, good question. Uh, Congress? Um, much of the federal, federal jurisdictions will be disbanded. Uh, they'll, we'll, we'll fight a war against them for a period of time during the Civil War period. But remember that the states themselves begin, uh, become independent republics once again, and one by one, they begin to break away from the federal union, primarily due to the idiocy of the federal government. All right, John, he wanted to comment on Waco. Uh, comment on Waco. I, I think it was a tragedy. I think uh, Janet Reno should have been prosecuted. I think, uh, uh, I think the people that went in there were just flat-out murderers. Um, my initial image was of Waco uh, psychically was that it was my belief that, uh, that I think the day before that there was a Spetsnaz-style Delta Force team that went into Waco that shot Koresh and, his, uh, and, and many of his followers that then rounded up the women and children in the two underground bunkers and I think threw firebombs down to basically murder them and cover up, the, uh, cover up the evidence of what was going on. And then that's why they sent in the tanks with the flamethrowers on them to uh, basically cover up uh, all the evidence. And sure that's exactly that what way. the coroners found was Koresh and his, his main band were all shot in the head execution style, and then all the children were rounded up with the women and whoever was left. All right, Sean, we're out of time. Uh, okay. uh, one more time, uh, give them your phone number. Okay, just to wrap up, uh, my telephone number is 310-217-7579. It's PRI, the Prophecy Research Institute for the Delphi Associates Newsletter, uh, the Millennium Factor, or the Gulf Breeze Prophecies. You can write to PRI at 
2207 Hermosa Avenue, H-E-R-M-O-S-A, Hermosa Beach, California, 90254. Art, your prince, thank you so much for having me. I know I was only supposed to be on for like 20 minutes, and uh, I really appreciate uh, you having me on the show. Thanks, Sean. Take care. Okay, thank you, sir. Well, sorry, everybody. The clock is the clock. I will be back with Dreamland Sunday evening at 7 o'clock Pacific Time, or whenever it is you normally hear it. I want to thank you all for copies of this tape, of this show. You can call area code 503-664-7966. Please take the number down. It's going to save me having to repeat it a million times. Area code 503-664-7966. I want to say thank you. It has been a, uh, another wonderful week of talk radio. Kind of a prophecies and predictions week uh, with some of the moon thrown in. It's really been quite something. It's been quite a week, and uh, we'll try and do it again next week. So for everybody at the network, on behalf of everybody at the network, thank you and good night. For a copy of this program, call area code 503-664-7966.